all I'm imagining for some reason when you talk like that, Dan, is just you in a bathtub full of mustard wearing a bolo tie. Just a bolo tie? I'm not sure why. Just a bolo tie. So you're I'm imagining sure me naked? No, just from the from the chest down. The chest down in a, in a bathtub full of mustard with a bolo tie. Yeah, but the, the, Arms the, the nudity is inferred. Heaving and saying, ah, it's a good day. Why me it's naked? Why me naked, Andy? Because I'm just picturing you, you're just like relaxing back all Maverick style. Like Maverick style in a bathtub. You're just like, ah, oh, what a good day for mustard. And then you dip your finger into the mustard and you you, you suck the mustard off and you're like, I'm delicious. Uh-huh. You'd say, I'm delicious. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I'm Joe. I'm Ken. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. We're the Rewinders Podcast, rewinding movies to see if they hold up. And this time, we maybe are going to put the nail in the coffin of Jurassic Park. Please, God, it's been months. <laughs> I just and all the I dogs are barking. He's going with this one because he had it there. That was a that was a solid what fifty seven. That seconds. was solid. Yes, it's a solid like thirty seconds. We got the sick triceratops scene. I'm imagining that's what the gallimimus would sound like if it was laying on the ground, just howling in pain. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're we're not quite there yet. With punctured lungs, we got yes. we gotta get yeah. we gotta get the kids and Grant out of the tree first. Yep. Where we left off was Grant and the kids waking up in a tree. Yes, to the, with the Vegisaurus. The Vegisaurus is yes. This is possibly one another one of the scenes that needs to have just digital VFX cleanup. Your cleanup. The practical effects are fantastic. The sneezing dinosaur is not. Yeah, it very much looks like a puppet head. You're a puppet head. I mean, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of a dino sneeze. <laughs> Thanks. Well, no. I don't know if I'd want to be or not. I mean, I imagine it would feel awful, but good at the same time. Kind of like bathing in a tub full of mustard. But Lex seems very horrified by it, so we only have her opinion to go off. All right, dino boogers. That's I mean, how do you gross. feel but when... Tim, Tim doesn't miss a beat there. Somebody inadvertently sneezes on <laughs> Disgusted. Him. So uh, then take that yeah. and multiply that by Brachiosaurus size. That's what I'm thinking, though. Like, I, I imagine it would be... Kind of like awe-inspiring, even though it's horrifying at the same time. I've just been sneezed on basically a god. <laughs> yeah. This this <laughs> thing. This thing that sneezed on me. Its head's the size of a freaking small car, and it sneezed on me. I, I feel like that'd be great. Well, now we know, now we know where, where Rothi is on this one. No, we're not going down Vor territory, Dan. <laughs> anyways. <laughs> you said it, not me. I don't see any nostrils on this dinosaur. Oh, they're above, uh, they're right up above yeah, the size. Yeah, between the eyes. Above and between, yep, like on the the forehead. I'm staring at my Brachiosaurus five feet away from the table. Now I see him. (laughs) So Lex got sniped. Okay. Really? It wasn't like an open mouth sneeze. Yeah, I don't know how it just got on her and nobody else. She got rocketed. For the lulls, I guess. She was at the end of the tree. She was reaching out to pet it. The other two already had their fill and we're letting her have a chance. Yeah. And that begs the difference of what's different? What is that dinosaur allergic to with her that not everyone else? Well, they say it's got a cold or it looks like it has a cold. Yeah, it's not used to our diseases. It's just going to die real quickly from uh, (laughs) alien syndrome. See, and this is is where all the depression comes in, thinking about the the logistics behind this, because in real world science... 
You can't just bring something back from the dead after millions of years and expect it to just wander around perfectly fine without getting some sort of illness based off of something very, very small and curable that we have that it's never seen in its life. <laughs> and the bigger question, too, is the atmosphere was a lot denser back when the dinosaurs were on the planet. Oh, yeah. So yeah. there's a lot more oxygen. Yeah. Well, something that big would not be able to breathe in the atmosphere we have today. It's not so. that <laughs> high up, though. And the, I mean, it wasn't that much denser. It's not a matter of height. It's a matter of size. The only reason that they got so big and why evolution um, yeah. made these things so gigantic is because they had more oxygen. They could get that big. <laughs> but, but remember... We still have the frogs. Yes, we do still have the frogs. So maybe they have frog lungs. But (laughs) also, that begs the question, (laughs) would you pay more to go see dinosaurs with Bane masks to feed them oxygen? I almost would. (laughs) Do they roar like Bane? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd go to that park. I'd go to that park. (laughs) I'd probably be creeped out like, what? Mm, Okay. They're dinosaurs. That's what's going on here. Right? Oh, yeah, goes. <sighs> but then when they get down from the tree, they discover eggs. Yes. They discover that she's a hacker, which is the she only reason why she needs egg. to be sneezed on, so they can have that conversation so that she can say she's a hacker. <laughs> Not that far yet. Hey. I mean, I mean, speaking... Isn't it? I thought that happened right before... No. I thought that happened before they jumped and oh, found the eggs. Right. That is... I'm, I'm I mean, getting another from... scene soon in the future confused right we're not that far yet but no i'm speaking speaking from uh, speaking from an introvert's point of view if that happened to me i probably wouldn't leave the house ever again i'd just hole up and play on my computer and <laughs> i'd never go outside for a couple months at least for a couple months yeah yeah maybe not permanently but for, play some for a while. rock yeah that'd be the closest thing to dinosaurs <laughs> i'd get to <laughs> but yeah um but yeah, I remember, so the cat's out of the bag that they're uh, reproducing on their exactly. own. Exactly. And if I remember correctly, I think in the original screenplays or one of the revisions of the screenplays, they weren't going to have that scene or it wasn't even in there. So I'm glad they put that in as just a little nod to the fact that the dinosaurs are finding a way to breed based off of what Malcolm said. It's very good. And it's up for debate what the eggs the are. The little footprints are cute. They are adorable. It It's up for debate what the eggs are, but popular opinion is that they're velociraptor some people have said gallimimus but it's it's pretty widely accepted that they're raptor eggs but they all but the they question can, always they comes can't why be they raptor different? eggs because the raptor egg in the control center was, that's true the raptors are not oh yet. but the, oh. but those eggs those eggs were not naturally laid that's what i was gonna say the the thing that always comes back to bite that theory is the fact that the eggs look different yep but the eggs are fertilized ostrich eggs that they're using in the visitor center whereas these would be natural eggs which explains elongated shape but you just jogged my memory technically the raptors aren't out of the cage yet the raptors are still they're still in the paddock and so that blows holes into that theory. So then. that's got to be okay. whatever dinosaurs were in the Brachiosaurus paddock. So it's got to be Gallimimus, uh, Parasaurs. It could be a bunch of things like that. But yeah, it, wow, it can't be raptors. Because that's, that's been a topic of debate for many, many years, what dinosaurs' eggs those were. And yeah, it cannot be Velociraptors because there's only three and they're in their cage still. <laughs> Damn. 
learning new things even after 30 years almost. Ta-da! <laughs> so also in this scene, you realize that the kids never got to go on the tour to learn about the DNA. Oh, yeah. It's like, man, these, these adults are real jackasses for not letting the kids actually learn. They're like, yeah, we're gonna we're so excited to get into this. Forget those kids. I mean, it's mainly Grandpa's fault. He's running muck with uh, getting things going. Not being like, hey, we got some people coming. Let's uh, let's wait for them to show up too. Right, right. Not he just jumps right into it and like, yeah, I guess we'll get the kids later or something. But it it just shows the difference in the character. I mean, I was I was reading a little bit of the novel again, and the scene at the ice cream uh, with Ellie, it's it's flipped with uh, Hammond and Gennaro in the book, and Hammond just comes off so unbelievably cold in that scene. He's just eating ice cream, does not give a shit about anything. Gennaro's trying to, like, reason with him, hey, your kids are out in the park, and he just does not care. Like, he doesn't seem like he cares. Like, he just kind of brushes it off, like, yeah, yeah, they'll be fine, they'll be here in the morning. And he just basically, like, shoes him away as, like, well, I, I have no problems, like, he's, he's basically planning that Muldoon's gonna get the kids back within the next couple hours, and everything's gonna be fine. And he's more focused on the park itself, about how they had a wee mishap, and then he did his fix it. I love the change in the movie. I love the change that they had. I love the interaction between Hammond and Hammond and Sattler about that. It's just, it's it's so freaking amazing because it's more gentle, it's more sweet, and it feels more personal. It's such well, a I mean, good scene. It's, it's, a, it's such a great scene because you see how naive he is. And I said this last, I said this last episode, but it... Yeah, it, but a sweet naive, not like a yeah, manic naive yeah, like in the book. It's, yeah. That's entirely true because, like, he's not like the book. He's just so yeah. He, he, you're right. He's so cold to it. He is. He's an asshole in the book. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's a huge asshole. <laughs> like in this movie, he actually feels like your grandpa. He's not an old grandpa, like with the best intentions. Yeah, you truly feel like this guy had the best intentions, and just everything was against him, and he just didn't think beyond delivering smiles, <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that was funny. I was just reading that part the other day, and it's just like, wow, wow, what a huge-ass difference. <laughs> and that scene gets broken up by the manly chest of... Golden Boy Malcolm shot. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of blood on there to be, you know, spice it up. Maybe it's ketchup. Who knows? He had a sloppy hot dog. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Just taking a bath. They, they hit the buffet before they went into the uh, bunker? <laughs> the bunker with the door not locked yet? Yeah. Yeah. Who's trying to enter? I mean, at this point... The... Well, it's not really a bunker, though. It's basically just command center. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there is a bunker in the visitor center uh, that they allude to. Uh, in the books, it's more prevalent, but yeah. It's, um... Uh, what was I going to say? It's, uh... I completely am drawing a blank. I lost my train of thought. Now I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. But yes, uh, we, we get to that scene where uh, they're talking about how, what, Mr. Arnold? It, it's to the point where they're going to try to reset the power. Correct. And he's arguing a very good argument about not shutting all the power off. Because at this point, we only have what? The herbivores and Dilophosaurus and, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex that are free. The most dangerous things on the park that are in the movie I say that with question mark I guess because I know the book and even movie kind of allude to there being more dinosaurs even in the scene where Nedry's taking the uh, DNA out of the uh, cold storage Metriacanthosaurus is listed there and a couple other things so they have other carnivores on the park it's just we don't get to see them in the movie no a bu- so, uh, and apparently a bunch of the ones that are in the original movie 
are ones that we see in Jurassic World. Exactly. So like exactly. the, Meso- like the Mesosaurus and the Baryonic. Yep. Yep. And the Metricanthosaurus. That that was another one. It's just like there's there's a lot of things we didn't get to see that are there. It's just there's a lot of things that didn't make it physically on the film that's alluded to. I mean, you could even look at Mount Sebo. It's been a part of Jurassic Park since the original book. They use geothermal energy based off the volcano on the island to power everything. They never talk about that in the movies. Nope. <laughs> Until all of a sudden they realize, like, what do we do to get rid of the island? Oh, let's blow up that volcano. What volcano? Well, there's always been a volcano. No, there's always been a volcano. Because there is. What? <laughs> it's when? Jurassic Park's crazy because it's always existed in the soft canon between book and movie. Like, anytime that they have to justify something, they pull it in and say it's from the book. And it's always been there the whole time, even though it's never actually been in the film history, which is kind of crazy. I-, I love how they do that. <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> it's like they have this bucket full of spare parts they just keep pulling from. That's why you get Jurassic Park 3. You get the aviary. That was supposed to be in the first movie. They don't talk yeah. about Jurassic book. Park 3. <laughs> 3 was just a mess because it was made, people signed on, had expectations, and then he just didn't like what he had and they just... Did it on the fly. <laughs> I know William H. Macy's been very vocal about his experience and fucking hated being on that movie because imagine being an actor and like having your lines and knowing what you're getting into and signing on and being all excited and then like the week of the shoot, oh yeah, the entire script's thrown out. We're just gonna we're just gonna write pages as we go, just do what I say. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Best yeah. way to run a movie. Absolutely. <laughs> the plot changed so many times on three and they had no idea what direction they were going in, they just made a movie to make a movie, essentially. There's some really cool stuff in that movie. There's a lot of that not does really explain cool stuff. The feeling of that movie. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> disjointed. It's it's not a it's not a horrible movie. It's not a terrible movie, but it does not have the same level of polish and care that the first two movies had. And you can feel that all the way through. But it's got the visuals, it's got the setting. It's got a lot of cool things going for it. It's just that piece is missing. Yeah, <laughs> and in this movie, mm-hmm. we have uh Sam Jackson Explaining things in front of a Macintosh, a PC, and what looks to be a, probably a Unix computer. So they're covering all their bases here. Yes, redundancy and at its finest. He's telling, <laughs> he's telling everyone about lysine. That's yes, the lysine contingency. That being the based off the 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 era that the era that the dinosaurs died in. Yeah, because Muldoon brings up the lysine contingency. He asks, "What about the lysine contingency?" And then Arnold explains it in, de- in depth. That's something that's a lot heavier in the book, but it does carry over to this movie. But it never again gets talked about. Is they they fed the dinosaurs a supplement of lysine in their feedings to keep them maintained. So that way, with the thought process, that's it's a double whammy. Not only are they all females, so they can't reproduce, but if you feed them and are making them dependent on you giving them lysine, if all of a sudden you're not around to give them lysine, yeah, they'll just go into a coma and die. So it's like a, it's a double protection. And it just goes to show, yet again, another wonderful, like, dozenth time in this movie. You can't plan for everything, and evolution breaks through barriers, life evolves, and it doesn't give a shit what you try to do. Because <laughs> here we go, the dinosaurs are fine. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta say that, that the way Muldoon says things, says it, is so confusing to me, because the Lysine Protocol, or whatever the hell they call it, sounds so passive, like, well, we just stop feeding, like... How do you enact it then? Like it's it's enacting the lysine protocol sounds a lot more active than we just stop feeding them. Yeah, like already that's going to be the case because we can't turn things on, we can't feed them. So like, yeah, it's already passively active. So uh, 
him and saying, no, that's out of the question is also kind of well, a weird option to bring up at this point. I think the way the Muldoon's... Apart from the fact like he's trying to say like, how about we just ditch this place? Right, right, exactly. That that actually plays into it though, because that goes to show how grounded everybody else is. Everybody else is like, this place is fucked. We're not even thinking about this place. We just want to go home. We want to get out of here. Hammond is the only one who's still at this point thinking that it's just a minor setback and things can go back to the way they were, which is not going to happen. So by him saying that about the license contingency, he's talking about the fact that he doesn't want his dinosaurs to die and it's completely out of the question that he's going to waste assets like that. Meanwhile, everybody else is just like, well, we do have the license contingency. If we just let this ride out for another few days, you know, the carnivals will die off or get sick and we can leave the bunker and it'll be, everything will be fine. <laughs> so they're thinking logically and realistically, whereas Hammond's still got his eye in the sky just like, you know, his dreams of a park that's not going to fail, which it's beyond that point now. And he's sadly the only one who doesn't see that. Yep. But I, I do love the way that... Uh, you, you brought up Muldoon. I love the way he gives his lines sometimes because that line and then also the line when they're approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock on the tour, those two always give me a chuckle because it's like, why is he so concerned? Because <laughs> the T-Rex paddock is like, he's telling everybody to quiet down because they're, they're approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. It's like, yeah, what's the big deal? It's part of your tour. Should you have more confidence in that? <laughs> and it's like this one too. He's like, what about the Lysine contingency? And he sounds like worried about asking about it. It's like, it's an okay question to ask. Don't, don't sound, you know, nervous. And, and <laughs> I don't know. He, he delivers his, his lines in those two spots with a little bit of concern. <laughs> and I don't understand where the concern's coming from, but it's it's fun to listen to that voice, I guess. I like it. I guess, well, I could understand the Lysine contingency being concerned because he's a wrangler, basically, for the park, for the animals, and he's talking about killing them. True, true. He's charged with protecting them and, you know, making sure everyone's safe with the animals and to suggest just mass killing of <laughs> what he's responsible for. I mean, he's also saying... I won't have a job because there'll be no dinosaurs for me to wrangle anymore. That's true. That's very true. We also get the uh, the line from Ian with, uh, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. <laughs> oh my God, it's one of my most quotable <laughs> quotes from this movie. I love that quote so much. <laughs> He's obviously never been on that ride. Obviously. <laughs> Actually, I I believe the... It's a small world ride. I'd be yeah. more afraid of that yeah. than the Pirates yes. of the Caribbean. Yes. That's sure. psychological warfare. That's not a fun ride. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it, it's like the multi-dozenth time at this point where he's still thinking that the park's going to be okay. He's just kind of poo-pooing it like all major theme parks have delays and setbacks. It's like, yeah, Ian makes a very, very good point. Most delays and setbacks are involving people not having like clean water to drink or bathroom access or like having a ride breakdown for a little while. Things like that. Not people dying. <laughs> not dying before the park even gets off its feet. But then speaking of lines, you get another very popular line in this scene. The Ellie? Hold on to your butt. Oh no, wait, I'm I'm too far ahead. I'm too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. In case they still got it right. Yeah, they, they got to shut the system, system right down now? before they reboot. They got to reboot the system by apparently shutting all the electricity in the, the doing area. A, yeah, so we skipped, they're we skipped doing a power cycle. That, yeah, that's yeah. We're not yeah, quite in the there yet. Just when they're in the bunker. Yeah, yeah, they're in the control room right now before they go to the bunker. Right. They do start talking about 
they they do bring up we have we can reboot the whole system and uh sam jack's like no i won't do that that it's never been done yet why would i mm -hmm. so i can get the phone so they can call and get out of there because the phones are and down. you hold on to your butts yep hold on to your butts and turn the power off and you get a little blinky command prompt on one computer screen and I was going to say, and then you remember suddenly everyone only knows GUI these days and no one remembers CLI commands and then you're still fucked. No, because it all came back Oof. up. They had golden copies sitting in their uh, in their BIOS and they just get, they got it. They get, it's, it's, it's good. Right. <laughs> it's all automated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that the, the dark uh, scene and the lights that come through the window after that are really well done. I love the colors of that section yes the green with the hues of blue and then red really really nice color yes i love the lighting in that scene it's freaking phenomenal <laughs> i love it that's again where i just get so sad that there's missed opportunities to go back to the control room at any point after this movie and things like that <laughs> there's just so many iconic scenes so many iconic lighting uh choices for like the kitchen and things like that oh my god i'd love to go back to those scenes one more time imagine if they never went back to the bridge in star trek <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> That'd be kind of weird. A little bit. Powers off, and uh, Mr. Mister Arnold decides uh, he will run to the Electrical circuits hunt. and uh, place the, yeah, and he'll flip some switches and everything will be fine. So why does powering down one small area blow the larger breakers at the park-wide level? Again, uh, just, that's it's shitty planning. <laughs> We don't, How breakers we work? don't These are 90s the breakers, not 2000s breakers. Those are much there's, bigger we, breakers. They're going to be able to handle a, we don't, handle a we much don't wider load. There's a, in the movie. This movie is well, a goddamn see, this, masterpiece. But that's that's <laughs> the beauty of it, too, is almost all the plot holes can just be described away as ham and cut costs. <laughs> he spared expenses in those situations. <laughs> Except in this case, he didn't put pennies in those breakers. So yeah, no, but they probably asked didn't him get about to override them. Probably asked about how they wanted to, uh, <laughs> you know, have backup generators and how they want things to operate in case of emergencies. And he's just like, oh, that'll never happen. Just screw it. Just get it done. <laughs> That's what you end up with. The power to this this facility is based off a volcano. I don't need to worry about backups. <laughs> never run out of power. They might have backups. They don't know where they are. Nedry has them. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go from a tight scene to a very wide open scene. Yes. Like a tight, yeah. intimate grouping in the dark to a wide open Hawaii landscape in the bright sunlight. And it's green and it's no longer a horror movie and everything's safe and they just have to walk home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was actually the uh, the last scene filmed in Hawaii too. They had to actually fly everybody back just to do the Galamima scene. Oh. And, and I'm happy because apparently the original location that they had planned it was either flooded or damaged from the hurricane or something along those lines. So this was a different location that they filmed in, and it actually was so much better, and it just looked so much nicer than what they originally had. Originally what they said that they had was just like a like a field, essentially, with, you know, whatever trees and things like that. Whereas this is just majestic. You got that big, lush green opening. You got those giant green hills. It's just, it looks so good. <laughs> I love, love, love this part of the park. And the uh, the use of the what are these are these the Gallimimus? Gallimimus. They worked pretty. They did pretty well with these, I think. Yeah, it's still one of the most talked about scenes, like in all the uh, behind the scenes and anything that comes up with the movie. Is just 
I know everybody was really just gushing about this scene specifically when the movie came around because they wanted to know how, how did you do this? And it was just this big thing about tennis balls and the actors and the eyeline sights and everything and just kind of rendering and all this fun stuff. And to just go into it so far in depth for everything that I remember seeing as a kid. It was a big undertaking and it shows off really nice. I mean, yeah, it's aged a little bit, but it still looks really good and believable. Especially yeah. to the point where, you know, mm-hmm. the kids jump under the log and there's actually, you know, they have squibs blowing off pieces of the, uh, pieces of the wood from the log as, as the Gallimimus run over the top and stuff. It looks great. You just have to update the lighting effects a little bit and it'd be, uh, pretty much spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was going to say, the skin tone of the dinosaur looks just slightly off. Yeah. But other than that, much, I mean. Like, yeah. Of all the scenes that I have been picking on, this one is another one of the ones that they must have spent more time on. Because it's it's not like glaringly obvious that it's you know forty year old CGI. Yeah, God, that, no, God, that's not right. That's don't not say right. That. That's not even. It's not that um, old. Okay, I say I'm not that old. It can't be that old. It's it's just about to turn thirty next year. <laughs> Either way, it's uh, old. Yeah, I'd, ten or, I would even argue that the Tyrannosaurus scene in this. Yeah, it's old. We'll give you that. <laughs> But I would even say the Tyrannosaurus in this looks phenomenal. Being out in the sunlight, not having the rain or the darkness to obscure the CG or any flaws, it looks great. It, compared it to the compared great. to the Brachiosaurus and the the what uh-huh. open no, not technically <laughs> opening scene, but the introduction to the island, like I don't know. Yeah, it's it's nuts. She looks good. Yep, she looks very very good on the open. I mean, it introduces T Rex as being a stealth animal. Yeah, no longer do Hiding you get in the bushes. No, I, I, hours of uh, exactly it's not leeway, a, of uh, lead up time of the Earth trembling. You get oh sudden T Rex. <laughs> we somehow we managed to miss this. It's been a it's been an off and on thing throughout the entire series after that first Tyrannosaurus Rex tour attack, where plot convenience sometimes it makes sense to have the thumps and sometimes it doesn't. Like you think of uh, right. the Lost World where. You know, they're, they're sleeping in the tent. Kelly and Sarah are in the tent, and all of a sudden you hear the thumping, and then you hear the heavy breathing, and that's that. You knew it was there before it even happened, because it was coming. But there's other ones where, like, you know, you get to Jurassic World, and there's the scene outside the mansion in Fallen Kingdom, where bad dude, I can't even remember his name, is holding the, uh, <laughs> the Indominus uh, tooth, and all of a sudden, out of literally nowhere, Tyrannosaurus grabs him in his mouth, you know, it starts munching him up and Carnotaur comes and takes his arm away. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, there's no thumping at all. There's literally zero sound. And I saw that in, in Dolby Atmos. He's just holding onto a tooth, smiling because he thinks he's going to get away. And all of a sudden, you hear the gulping and the roar of the Rex grabbing him in his jaws. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? I say in this situation, it kind of makes sense. Like you got the yeah. Gallimimus herd, and it's like you got that low yes. end rumble going already. Yes, exactly. And then you got like everything around you just stampeding, so yes. you're not going to catch it. And then all of a sudden, oh, whoa, sudden T Rex. But like. Plus, you got the trees, you yeah. got the grass, and everything. So it's muffling the Tyrannosaurus Rex. There's a lot more vegetation that could be dampening the sound of it coming out of the, out of the forest to attack. And like you said, the stampede and everything else just adds to that. Fallen Kingdom has zero excuse. Right. Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out of a basement of a mansion <laughs> and grabs the guy off the ground. <laughs> and there's zero sound they, except for the mouth. They really love using that in the future uh, Jurassic Park movies where like, oh, sudden water dinosaur jumps out and eats the Indominus. Uh-huh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. Well, with the, with the Mesosaurus. <laughs> like, like, it's like sudden saving by... just keep forgetting like, that, 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 one, that 
big of a beast as just sitting in a swimming pool waiting yeah right I, that yeah that one does i'm, I'm talking about the it becomes a trope in jurassic park where a bigger dinosaur comes and eats the uh dinosaur that's about to hurt the humans it's always a thing. bigger fish only, yeah only when we get to it three. was done better in <laughs> three's where it starts three's definitely where it starts where they have the spinosaurus kill the tyrannosaur and we get probably arguably my least favorite line in the entire series and unfortunately they gave it to grant it sounds bigger how the hell does something sound bigger i hate that line so much it just makes a lot of noise sure the sure. smaller dinosaurs <laughs> go wee 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 and the bigger dinosaurs go roar 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 uh, i guess so it sounds bigger I guess, yeah I guess. it's like someone on the phone saying you found you sound far away yeah i, I don't know I could go off for hours on three, but I'm not going to, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking about the good we're one. We're talking about the good, my favorite one. Yes, my favorite. So, yeah, stampede scene. Um, the collisions on the 3D are a little off. So if you're watching it for, you know, multiple times, you're going to end up seeing that things aren't exactly... Like perfect. Like, the surfaces of the objects aren't not solid and they're animating those collisions and it's the 90s but they're doing a pretty good job with it yeah totally you know like today you can program surfaces to have to be solid i believe the last time i remember working with a 3d program you can set okay so if another object hits it yeah the, it won't the, go the right render won't will will the the rendering software will know not to allow other geometry to pass through that surface or that texture. Yeah. Not to go way off topic, but just because it's, it's in the same vein. I was actually just having this thought the other day. Um, I was watching a video comparing the Raimi Spider-Man movies to Spider-Man No Way Home. And they made a very good point that yes, the movie's qualities are getting better, but they're also losing a lot of their personality. And in the effects department, it's cookie cutter to the point where there's no interesting shots anymore. And I started thinking about that because they went into detail about, you know, there's a scene where they're slamming his head into multiple, like, cases or something like that. And it was a shot from within inside the case of the face coming through. And it's like, that's Raimi. That's Raimi in a nutshell. Like, crazy fun camera angles. And I thought to Jurassic Park, with the scene with the Tyrannosaurus chasing the Jeep that we talked about last time, there's that shot where it's like, you're the Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing the Jeep. They have that first-person view of being the T-Rex. And that's not in the newer movies. The newer movies are just landscape shots, things happening, throw as much CGI into the screen as humanly possible, and just make it wow. And, and the camera angles and the camera cuts and just the, the setup just isn't there. And I hadn't thought about that until I read that, but coming back to this movie, there's a lot of shots specifically that just you don't see anymore. I guess I took it for granted. Would they still have their wow factor if you kept on using those kind of shots? No, but that's just it. Like, every director had a different flair. Raimi's very popular for the stuff he does. Spielberg has some things here and there every once in a while. It's like the kids inside the uh, the Explorer with them being stuck under the bubble with the Tyrannosaurus head coming down, but then cutting to the outside and having the Tyrannosaurus head going down into the bubble. You get both views right away. I feel like in a modern movie, in a modern take of that, they wouldn't even have anything cool like that. They just have like a Tyrannosaurus Rex CGI model trashing a car and flipping it over. With 200 cuts. Yeah, with 200 cuts, but none of them would be inside from the kid's point of view or anything like that. It's just missing. (laughs) And that's just, you know, it's fortune telling. I can't say for sure what directors would do with what licenses they had and the creative control that they have, but 
I've noticed that after reading that, and it kind of makes me sad because I saw a few scenes in this movie that stick out to me that feel that way. And digital effects now have just made kind of movie going, I, I, I dare to say, lazy. Let's just film what you can because everybody's in front of a green screen and just throw a bunch of crap in there. Yeah, it looks great, yep. but at what cost? A uh, hundred million dollars, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at a minimum. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. hundred billion is nothing anymore. Well, it is something, especially to me. You know what I could do with a hundred million? Well, Probably retire, maybe. Yeah. I could afford health care. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I read about this. I think it was in the uh, the visual history book, but they were having a hard time, I guess, trying to have Grant say a line for this scene, too. I guess originally his line was just something, you know, generic, like he mumbled, oh shit, when they started running towards them, and then they he grabbed the kids and they ran. I want to say it was Phil Tippett, but I'm not entirely sure, but somebody suggested they're flocking this way and it's stuck. <laughs> so I'm so happy that got in here. Because <laughs> it's just such a great thing. Oh yeah, just, Timmy saying that? That was yeah, so good. Yeah, they're just in awe. They're awestruck at the at the Gallimimus stampede. It's, you know, just, he's the one realizing, yeah, we're kind of in danger. No, we're we're in trouble. I need to, you know, be an yeah. adult. <laughs> I, I have children with me. Shit. Yeah, he's, he's caught up because... At this, that, that's exactly it. Outside of the Triceratops, this is the first time that Grant's really had a chance to sit back and enjoy the, the majesty. We actually get to see Grant be nerdy. Yeah, he's actually enjoying something he spent his life looking into and finally getting to see it up close and personal. And it's just that briefest of moments where he just lets his guard down because they're there. They've already gone through a bunch of crazy crap. They're on the middle of the field. They don't have to worry about anything. And then... Yeah, it strikes out of nowhere. Tyrannosaurus Rex comes out. Oh, man. I, I, I love the scene of it just destroying that Calamine. And then we get poor Tim, who's never seen death before. Nah, he's into it. <laughs> he has to be torn away from it. <laughs> yeah. There's so much blood. Oh, he's going to become so a blood. scary, scary adult. <laughs> and we run out of that scene into the next one where... What are we doing? Back in the bunker. Should've that's yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's where the, the Pirates of the Caribbean breakdown line comes in. Yes. I have my notes messed up. It's just a delay. It's just a delay. All major theme parks have delays. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Park had one? Yep, yep. Yeah, that's it. So we get that one, and then we get another incredible quote, which I love so freaking much, with Sattler this time. Ellie has that amazing quote where they decide to go to the bunker and see what's going on. And Hammond, trying to be him, his Hammond self, he feels bad after trying to have control over the situation and says to Ellie, it, it really ought to be me who's going and not you. And she legitimately looks stunned and confused, like, what, why are you saying this? And then she realizes and it hits her. She's like, oh, he's being sexist. And that's exactly the line. We'll discuss sexism in survival situations when I get back. I love that line so much. Because he's insinuating that because he's a guy, he can do a better job or he should be going to protect her to go take care of it instead of her going, which it was her idea to begin with. <laughs> I or love what I that. prefer, yeah, send Hammond because somebody might die and you know what? It's his <laughs> fault. But yeah, he didn't go that direction. I know, that's the flip of it. But it just shows her character. It just shows how good of an icon she is. It's it's such good writing. She's such a good character. Still, hands down, flawless in my opinion. The best representation of a female character that's well written in cinema that i have personally seen and still have seen to this day i love ellie sattler in this movie because she feels equal she feels 
at times smarter than anybody else's ideas. Just like reality, instead of having them scream or standing off in a corner or basically being the bait to be rescued. Ellie's leading the charge to go look for somebody who's missing in a dinosaur-infested park. That's badass. Yeah. That's so badass. <laughs> because it doesn't come down to genders basically choosing who's doing what. She's the one who had the idea. It was her idea first. Hammond's just putting the sexism in by saying it should be me. <laughs> and then they take the sexiest person of the scene and use them as a table by covering them with... <laughs> Blueprints. Yep. I did have to do a quick check. Right over his legs. <laughs> um, Jurassic Park does pass the Bechdel test. Has at least yes. two named female yeah. characters who talk to each other... Uh-huh. Was about something that isn't men. Yes, I was gonna. Oh, I so like. Nice. I, I. I. didn't know, so I had to quick check, and I was very happy because I would have been dis, dis, absolutely distraught if it <laughs> if this managed to fail pass the, or fail the Bechdel test. But if it passes, so it's fine. Then you have to consider we get to Jurassic World, and does that really happen? Let's find out. Claire doesn't, from what I remember, talk to any girls. Oh right, you can just the, Google it. Yeah, it's the girl in the command center. I, I guess it does work out. She talks. It to passes. Yeah, it's according Howard. according to this website, it passes. Yeah, because there's multiple scenes where she's talking to girls. I think she even talks to Zaya before she gets devoured. But yes, yeah, all uh, oh, right. It's a fun test. Yeah, I love how it's such a low bar, and so many films can't pass it. It is such a low bar, and that's what's sad about the it. The comments for Jurassic World, though, there's a lot of apparently there's a lot of sexist stereotypes. Oh yeah, what? for sure. Owen and gendering of things. Owen is hands down one of the worst stereotypical characters, and the worst part about him is he doesn't change. Jurassic Park, all the characters change in some way. They come into this movie in the beginning as something and leave completely different towards the end with a greater appreciation towards nature, a greater appreciation towards, you know, dinosaurs or kids, company, things like that. There's there's everything that happens to a character in this movie changes who they are when they leave the island. Jurassic World can't say the same. Except for Owen. In Ian Malcolm's case, a broken leg. A broken leg, yeah. Except for Owen. Owen is... And I've seen this echoed online. He changes nothing. He comes in with all of the things that you're supposed to have when you leave. Yes, and that never changes. He never changes character between the two movies we've seen so far. He does a little bit in Kingdom. BA character moving along. I don't know. But anyways. I don't think I'm going to go back and watch that <laughs> no, movie. No, so. I wouldn't. King- Kingdom for me is pretty rough. I will go back and watch Jurassic World anytime. I love that movie. I-, I have such a greater appreciation for it. I still liked it when it came out. I just hated the whole in-gen militarized hey at least we we didn't get the genetic freak monsters that supposedly were supposed to be in it so that's happy for that but then we we got retconned human cloning and genetic freak monsters and humans surviving oh it's all on its way (laughs) i don't know (laughs) man dominion (laughs) looks i'm dominion looks great i'm excited for dominion Dominion. i really i shouldn't be because i'm going to be devastated because it's going to be awful but it's the flippy floppy. It's the same thing that happened with Star Wars. You had Abrams, which got the excitement ramped up. Then you have Trevor R., which split the team, split everybody's opinions on it. Then you had Abrams again, but it was too late to fix anything. That could be the same thing with this one. However, it's got a lot going for it where I think it's not going to fall in the same pit, pitfall. I Trevor R.'s back. I hope not. And yeah, it, I don't know. It looks looks great. The only thing that's really against it right now is how they're going to handle the pacing and how they're going to handle the tone of having dinosaurs all over the world suddenly. Because it really feels like from the trailers and stuff that they're trying to wrangle them up and get them off somewhere. How do you do that when you're depicting dinosaurs literally living all over the world causing mayhem? 
It's not like something where you just spend a weekend, like, making a checklist and picking up all the dinos. It's supposedly oh, they're reproducing and crap, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, mankind's really good at wiping out species. We could just do that. Would they be stupid <laughs> enough to use the, the DNA of a frog that's known to, like, have a serious amount of offspring? I don't know. And that's, that's where we're going to find out with Biosyn and everything else that goes on this new one. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I, I don't feel as disappointed and depressed going into this one as I felt going into the last Star Wars movie because last Star Wars movie you're going into it basically thinking how are they going to fix everything that went wrong whereas Fallen Kingdom if you just take it away and just accept the fact that the island's gone everything else is still there I guess and you know Jurassic Park at its core is about dinosaurs you get more dinosaurs this time around and you get some of the core cast from the original movie it's it's looking like it's going to be pretty great. I'm not going to lie. I still need them to bring back Lex and Tim. I know. They brought him back for The Lost World, but that's the last time we really saw him. I don't know. The, the only thing that could wreck it for me is tone. Tone, hands down. Jurassic World gets too far campy into the Mission Impossible style, where it's rolls and jumping through Tyrannosaurus Rex's jaws as it clamps down and you just missed it. I hated that scene. <laughs> but anyways, there's a lot of things like that. And the motorcycle chase in, I think it's Malta in the new movie, I, I don't know how I feel about that. What we'll the, see, the, I guess. The chase with Owen and, Atrociraptors. The, and, and the Velociraptors. Yeah, yeah Atrociraptors chasing him, and he's... It, it, it gets Mission Impossibly, and I know that there was a couple things even in this movie, the original Jurassic Park, that they had to basically cut because it felt like it was getting to that point. There was something I was reading, I can't remember what, but there was something along those lines where it was like a character dodges out of the way from you know t-rex jaws or something along those lines or or jumps out of the way of this or does some sort of like aerobatic or something it's like no that's not this movie that's why i love and appreciate this movie so much because it's grounded in reality as what it is with the suspension of disbelief it's grounded in reality it makes you feel like this could really happen and that's why it was so huge and the best part about all of that is just the fact that the dinosaurs are the showpiece in this movie as being something that's unpredictable because it is wildlife. It is something that nobody's ever seen. You have no idea how it's going to react. It's just an animal. It could try to kill you or it could try to be your friend. Meanwhile, the Jurassic World movies really kind of lose that sense and that focus. And the dinosaurs aren't even really all that scary anymore because there's so many... <laughs> So many scenes where, like you guys said, bigger dinosaur comes and saves the day, or this one comes and, and does that, and, you know, we're friends with a velociraptor now. Oh yeah, by the way, this raptor that eats things because it's a carnivore, it's our friend. And it's just going to know whoever I'm talking to is a friend too. I hate that. I hate, hate, hate that. <laughs> but, again, again, that's why this movie is so special to me. It's, it's before all that got kind of blurred lines and... and Silly. Are you sure it's not special because of the wired headset that Ellie wears when she's going to go to the bunker next? Oh yes, that headset and that and that that flashlight. And I've always wanted Ugh. to get those walkie-talkies. Those talkies look amazing. They have some range, and they are clearly really good at making the the connections of talking. The, the fact that we can you know use them to talk through you know a cement bunker. Yes, yeah. with little to no loss in audio. You know, quality. Hey, sparing no expense. <laughs> all the wrong things. <laughs> yep. Let's spend it all on walkie-talkies instead of moats and motion sensors. <laughs> so the thing that I have with the electrical hut scene is that this scene begins 
a gimmick that all of Jurassic Park movies have had since. And that Jurassic Park, in any of its iterations, have has had at least one unnecessary death. Yeah. Jurassic Park has two. I don't mind it. With Arnold and Muldoon. That? Eh? Arnold yeah. might not be dead. Arnold okay, might not be it dead. Is, Sam's, it, Sam's that, is, that. that is true. Arnold might not <laughs> might not be dead. It is inferred that he is dead. I don't know how it's he would have gotten off the obvious. island afterwards with a arm missing. Yeah, it's pretty obvious he's dead. Yeah. But we can still hold out a sliver of hope. What I don't care for is how Muldoon basically gets taken down. Because yes. earlier yes. in the movie, he talks about how the Velociraptor hunts. Because yep. we see the cage is been tore open and the velociraptors got out okay so now we know who the bad guys for the scene are it's the velociraptors Mm -hmm. so muldoon sees a single one by itself and he's like i got this Uh well dude you told us scenes ago that they they, they use tactics they distract yeah they come from the side and even beyond that he's he's knowingly even beyond that he's this world-renowned you know safari expert he's he's been in this profession his entire life even beyond dinosaurs he knows how pack animals and how hunters work so this this scene does irk me it's it's a great scene not gonna lie it's got great lines and everything but it does irk me because book muldoon oh he's got such a win on on movie muldoon (laughs) however let's back this up a little bit and let's say for argument's sake that perhaps he knew that this was the case and that he was gonna go and distract the Velociraptors, give them something to do so Ellie could go oh, do what so she wants. sacrifices to do. himself. Uh, I don't know if I like that. Why? Yeah. That's something he would do. I mean, he would totally do, I guess. I just never thought of it that Should've way. He, he purposely gives them, like, the exact target that they want to hunt. The one that's been looking at them through steel cages for all this time. Yeah. <laughs> Yelling shoot her and things like that. They recognize him. But then again, he did say clever girl. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's <laughs> an interesting... I don't know that far yet, but... Not yet, but there, there is an interesting take on this, too. Fans have been kind of split between whether or not he would have stood a better chance had he grabbed one of the M16s instead of the SPAS-12 gauge. Because in the, in the cabinet, when he's opening up to grab weapons, he grabs the SPAS-12 gauge, which, again, favorite shotgun. So iconic. This movie really, really put it on a pedestal. There were M16s on the right-hand side of the uh, the cabinet. And just try to think about it. It's like... I don't think it would matter. Faster... I, I don't know. Faster <sighs> fire rate and a shorter stock so it could potentially move quicker. I feel like the stock is really what kind of killed him in this with, with the folding stock on the spats. Because <laughs> there's no way he could have turned it that fast. To... Well, also at the beginning of the movie... They were shooting the Velociraptor with machine guns, and they had to unload on just one, and it was still kicking. So the bullet caliber for the M16, let alone its inability to work in extreme uh, environments, would be two factors that I think would be against the M16, and have me choose the, the shotgun which if it's shooting but we don't a slugs, but we don't yeah, know yeah, because of the scene that's coming it. up we don't know what kind of bullets are in these yeah shotguns. i know yeah, yeah oh we do yeah. i know i know but but based off of that logic i would agree with you i would grab the spaz 12 gauge any day with slugs to go hunting something like a velociraptor out in the woods yeah, you get a little bit more forgiveness. You don't necessarily have to have it pointed exactly where you need it to. Yeah. And it's going to do a lot more damage. However, 
at the distance he was at, he might have been better off trying to use a M16, trying to keep his distance and taking him out before putting himself into harm's way. Yeah, yeah. M16, I you just can don't trust drop him. something from 500 <laughs> yards. The uh, shoddy, even with slugs, you got to be within 100 yards. We're, but we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. Ellie's just jumping over a log and everything. She actually did all that herself, which is impressive because Hugh's a, a runner. She's on track or something that she's grown up. So she's a runner. She, is a she did all star. that. She did the run and the jumps over the log and all that good stuff. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. So she gets into the bunker and, or not the bunker, the maintenance shed starts going down. We get the funny uh, back and forth between Malcolm and Hammond about being able to read a blueprint correctly. <laughs> Hammond's so flustered about him thinking that he can't read a schematic. <laughs> But yeah, Mal- and-, <laughs> and right into a wall, right into a wall. So Malcolm's got the yeah. upper hand on this one because he, he makes sense of it. Instead of trying to be so literal, like some people can be, he's thinking like we do. It's like, hey, follow this pipe. It's because he's <laughs> chaotistician and he can handle reading chaos. Mm-hmm. And chaos is, chaos is lines on paper. It doesn't matter which way I'm looking at this. I see the pipes are following exactly where you need to go. Just follow the pipes. I don't need to tell you left or right. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's yep. where you're going. But that's just it. Hammond's, Hammond's thinking one way. Hammond's thinking of trying to actually direct her via the schematics. Whereas He's still Ian, trying to control. Exactly. He's trying to control. Whereas Malcolm, he's a mathematician, and he's looking for structure in the chaos. He's, he's looking for those fractals. He's looking for those moments where it's like, there's a repeating piece in here somewhere if we just look at it, and that piece for him is the pipes. The pipes, it just looks like chaos when you're looking at the freaking schematics. But he sees the pipes as the underlying factor where it's just like, if you follow that, it makes sense. And that's exactly what his character does. I love that about his character. I love that piece coming together and it leads Ellie right to the switches, which is, uh, oh. And it's a lot simpler, like, hey, you see some pipes? You have to follow those versus, all right, uh, this one you need to take a a (laughs) right. No, no, the other right. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So yeah, we, we get to those switches and it's a, uh, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, she sees the uh, uh, generator. I and surely enjoy the switches. Yeah. You got to prime them because the yep. amount of electricity it's going to actually, no, <laughs> the priming it is actually like a spring and you're really tensioning the spring. So that way the switchover can happen Master, fast yeah. enough to not cause an arc. Yeah, I, I did. I had to look, I had it, to up look it up. I was like, why, why is she priming? Yeah, it's a, a real button. system. I just never knew why. That's awesome. It's neat. And you got to you got to have that electricity running through those breakers fast if you're going to fry a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we get back to this scene with the perimeter fence that we discussed in great detail, Dan. <laughs> still the fear, still the fear, kind of, damn it. But uh ironically it's a scene towards the end of the film, but like I said, uh, I think last time, this was the very first scene shot. Can you imagine that? After all we've been through and all we talked about and all the character development and everything, that this was literally the first thing that they rolled film on? Like, that's that's pretty nuts. First shot in Hawaii. It's so intense. Yeah, it is. You just get your characters all muddied up and put them on a fence. and <laughs> There you go. First day of shooting <laughs> right, Hawaii. <laughs> you almost feel like it would be better to do it after a few days so they can actually be like, you know tired and know what they're doing and then be like oh my god this is yeah but they they nailed it yeah it, they did a great job did right they did the and it's like almost yeah, word for one out of that. the book yeah like my yeah. favorite line oh no is it this scene yeah no i can't remember if it's before <laughs> i can't remember if it's before or after muldoon actually dies that they drop the big t big tim the human piece of toast I think that might be neck that, that might be a few minutes farther into the movie from where we are right now. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, it is. I mean, it they is get farther. to the fence. They're they're taking their sweet time with it, and and Grant has the thought to toss a stick at the fence, obviously, to see if it's electrified. Which I think w- we all know that wouldn't, wouldn't work. No, that wouldn't do nothing. <laughs> but we get that great I mean, scene. Metal tree. Yeah, yeah. Faking but we it. get that great scene where uh, where he makes the joke, and the kids uh, are terrified, and it. I, I love his face as he looks back. You can really see he's warming up to kids, and he understands them now in the scene. And that switch has really flipped since they they spent the night in the tree. He's not cold. He's not, you know, dismissive of the kids anymore. He's legitimately having fun with them now. And that's such a great character. terrorizing them with love. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of terrorizing them with angst and (laughs) what the hell are you doing here? You gotta like how he tried to shove a full-grown man through the uh, fence and be like, nah, I can't fit. Your kids won't be able to fit either. I'm looking at it. They could; those kids could totally fit through those holes. Yeah, but then they wouldn't have anything to climb over. But but I think it's the urgency. They're looking at the fence logistically as they get there, and they're testing it to make sure it's not electrified. Sure, he's testing the strength of the the wire to see if they could climb through. However, they hear the Tyrannosaurus Rex off in the distance, oh. and I think that's probably what happened. They're not going to think logically after hearing that. They're going to be like, "Oh shit, not again." And then just start climbing over the fence like like rats, just because it's like this thing coming out. This is the fastest way to get again. to get past this uh-huh. this obstacle is to go over it. Yeah, because nobody yeah. wants to think about trying to climb through the fence and getting stuck while the Rex comes out of the woods and sees you or something like that. So they just instinctively jump the fence and start climbing. And then meanwhile, we got all the power being turned back on. Yep, switch Boom. by switch, Boom. things are happening. And then we get a little quip from uh, Lex and Tim about respect at the top of the fence. <laughs> I've used that quote so many times in my life. Anytime anybody ever asks me, what do I get? <laughs> I just always reply with respect. <laughs> and, and it's like it's like maybe like two out of ten times people will understand what it's from. But it, it just makes me giddy. It makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, we got Tim uh, scared to come down because, I mean, it's a high up fence and he was already in a tree and he's already got trauma from that. <laughs> so That's fair. Yeah, he doesn't want to come down because it's scary to go over the top of the fence. And, you know, he's he's almost there. They make a, a deal with him to jump on the count of three and Grant would catch him. But he never gets the chance to because Ellie flips that perimeter fence switch right on the count of three, sending him flying. Which is a cool scene. Perimeter. Perimeter fence. Not T-Rex paddock fence. Still a T-Rex paddock fence. <laughs> they, never showed the, they never showed the perimeter fence thing lighting up. The T-Rex thing pe- uh, lights okay. up. I think they're they're probably all connected somehow. It's a, it's a time logistics <laughs> thing, <God>. damn it! <laughs> they're all in the same circuit. We're not getting back into it, Dan. I, I can't remember. I, I was reading about that, too. I think it was in the same book, but it was... Uh, uh, for that scene, I guess uh, Timmy had, I think, flares in his hands and everything for the shocks. So, like the scene, this looks good. It looks the way that they fly him off, the way he's got the sparks coming out of his hands and the, the cabling. It just it looks really, really good. It does it's really well done. But there yeah. is one little itty bitty thing that I noticed. That, well, I I had to go back and watch it when Lex and Grant are on the ground talking to Tim. There's a uh-huh. scene where it looks like Lex and Grant are really close to the fence in one scene uh-huh. and then the camera pe- like the, it cuts to something else and then they cut back and it looks like grant and lex took a 30 foot step back from where they were standing yeah, yeah. I can and, see that. I'm, and i'm and gonna that's assume that's part, probably cause... because the way it was filmed and they only had yeah, a certain amount of takes that they used one take because the take that was better they they changed the camera angle and they didn't have better angles to work with so they displaced the two scene the two different takes together yeah i mean right. anything's possible oh they also knew that the uh the 
the fence's name was Brett Mikowski. And so they weren't sure how far away they would have to stand <laughs> to catch the child. What? <gasps> I think that was uh I think that was the nineteen ninety-four Packers quarterback. Don Mikowski. Don, Don, god damn it. I'm it was so Brett good at football. Favre and Don Mikowski. <laughs> you were combined. Oh, so I'm close. so close. <laughs> I almost made a sports joke. Yeah, almost. Good effort. But, good effort. But Grant brings the child back from the cusp of death, and and his face is Reggie White as he takes a gasp and comes up. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> that's where we get that. Uh, that's where we get that awesome look on Tim. He's got his hair all poofed up, and he's got some blood trickling from his ears, and yeah. Brings him back to life. It's okay. Tim's, yeah, Tim has serious plot armor. It's fine. Tim the has electricity yeah, technically wouldn't have killed super... Tim. The fall from the from the, that height and then having Grant doing improper CPR on him is what would have killed Tim. <laughs> I'm glad you called that out. A lot of people call it the improper CPR. <laughs> I'm super happy that he decided to uh, let us know that he was perfectly okay by continuing his counting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like nothing's nothing's changed since I fell off this door. We're all good. It give it give kids a laugh in the theater. I'll tell you that much. It certainly did. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, we get back and and Ellie's really excited. She's got her hands clapped together and she's all excited because now she's feeling that feeling that that Hammond had. Even though everything that's happened has happened already. Even though they're going through all this crap. For a brief moment, she lets her guard down because the power is coming back on. She's seeing the lights turning on. And you can't help but to get excited because we have control again. And within that second of feeling that she has control again, boom, Velociraptor. How the hell does it get behind a breaker cabinet? How? Like, let's let's look at how that, that room was laid out, like. There shouldn't be space Man, behind didn't you those cords. just tell me that I shouldn't be picking things apart? Ooh, Ooh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I have to, I have to give massive, massive props to that because dissecting it verbally like this, it's really the first time that I've really come to appreciate how almost every scene in this film where a character thinks that control is being handed back to them, something drastic happens to just remove that instantly. <laughs> it's such a good juxtaposition, especially this scene specifically. Like, it goes within seconds. Like, yes, and boom, Raptor. <laughs> I love that. It's it's right up there with the question and answer. If, you're, if you can constantly keep people moving forward in your story or film by posing a question and then answering them, mm-hmm. it keeps your audience engaged. This is kind of like that, you know? You have a moment that, hey, we have control. No, you don't. Yeah, Hey, we have control. No, you don't. I mean, low-key, low-key the audience, even the audience and the characters in the movie, everybody wants to see Jurassic Park succeed. Even watching the movie, you're just like, oh, I hope they get everything fixed because this is a great place. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't keep thinking that because it is just impossible by this point. I mean, the train has already way left the station at the beginning of the film. There's no coming back from the crap that's happened. Yet you just... You have this naivety. You just want it to succeed still. Oh, you want this to work? Are you still on Isla Nubar? Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's this false sense of security. I hope you enjoy your 10 seconds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, then we get uh, Mr. Arnold's lovely arm. And then outside, Muldoon meets his end. Yeah. And I'm looking at his face. He didn't go into this sacrificing himself. 
Oh, he's yep. looking shocked and surprised when he sees the other ones. Yeah. And then that's when he says, clever girl, I've got, you got me. I've got the six inch action figure of him and he's got a cold sweat face that you can change. Have you guys ever been on a roller coaster? <laughs> uh, yes. yes. Let's say like the giant drop. So let me talk to you about the one time I went on a giant drop. I, I'm fine with not ever going on one ever again. It's fine. They're fine. Uh, but I like them. You go up to the top. And this entire time, you know, the goddamn ride's called Giant Drop. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> you get to the top. You're like, huh, we're just kind of sitting up here. And then you hear a click and you're like, oh, that means I'm going. And then you still drop and you're like, what the fuck? Am I, what's going on? You, he didn't know when that uh, clever girl was going to come get him. So it could have still been a surprise. Could you say it's, even it's, though he knew it was, it was coming. hubris? Like... He's so used to hunting things that aren't as intelligent as Velociraptors no, 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 are. No, no, no. I'm saying he, just, he went even in thinking you, that he's going to be hunting these stupid animals that aren't going to be able to tell where he is. But he, he knows, knows they're, they're not, not stupid. But he That's doesn't the thing. hunt them. He hunts stupid That's animals. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the whole hunting. He also aspect. knows not to expect it. So he knows that he shouldn't know when to expect them to attack so when they do expect when they do attack it is still going to be a surprise yeah i think he knew they were intelligent obviously it's just i think he knew or had the naivety that he was more intelligent than them again it's like control aspect it's just i'm a human i'm evolved i can beat this thing even though i know it's really really smart and i I know specifically what it's capable of doing you just forget about that because you think you're in control you think that you have the upper hand and that is definitely where you see it in his face, because he loses the head for This sure. is why you never take on the old gods. <laughs> I'm going to live in my fantasy that Muldoon's a martyr. <laughs> you do that, you're just fooling yourself. <laughs> you're a revisionist. Yep, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I have my arguments. Uh, he gets chomped to death. Yes, and look at that lovely him. shot of the uh, snake crawling away on the... Uh, log next to the velociraptor eye i love that oh, i never saw the snake if i did i didn't think about oh, it when when you hear him being chomped on you hear him screaming and the and the snarls of the raptor it cuts to that velociraptor's eye right above the log mm-hmm. like it's laying on the ground like watching mm-hmm. and a snake slowly slithers past its eye yeah, cool yeah. I'll have to it's one of those things that if you're not paying attention thing. to it you wouldn't see it but it's all that scene is also like a like iconic scene well, yeah, because the smartest of the Velociraptors is watching, and, you know, if it had long enough arms, it'd be, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got what what, what you came for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, again, it's just one of those, it's just one of those cool scenes where you have, you know, something prehistoric with something modern just kind of meshing in the same scene. I love that. I love watching that snake just kind of go past. And you could argue snakes are prehistoric, too, but we're not talking like Titanoboa here. We're talking about just a typical jungle snake <laughs> and then we get back to the visitor center yeah and all that wasted and you get food. your line indeed you get your line get your lime line yeah lime big jello tim. big tim the human piece of toast yep it's in the book <laughs> it's in the movie i'm happy and then yeah you get greeted to this wonderful spread you had all these all amazing desserts laid food. so much food for however many people were there i mean i guess Maybe the rest of the island is also supposed to eat, but like no, nobody's no one's on, on the, the island. island. They sent everybody well, home because of the because of the hurricane, which came and went uh-huh. very fast. Yeah, but but prior to the hurricane, the Haleandro, the chef, and his his crew probably. He, I would assume didn't that he Hammond, leave as well? 
He left as well too, but I'm assuming what had to have happened is Hammond, probably being the grand showcaser he is, had his team cook up a crap ton of this amazing food just to wow everybody when they came back from the tour, and it's just been sitting there since because they've had other things to focus on. So that's why there's just all these random desserts sitting out there, and they just go to town. So what I'm looking at, it would last. We have veggies, we have bread, we have desserts, and the only thing that probably wouldn't taste as great is that there's a big chunk of, I don't know what the heck it is, but it's a meat. (laughs) I think it's ham. It's probably ham. So that thing might need... Yeah, it probably needs a microwave for that, but everything else probably is good to go. I mean, realistically, we've made it 24 hours-ish, so realistically, most of that stuff would still be safe to eat and still be tasty, yeah. It would just be cold. Yeah. Or warm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Room temperature. (laughs) Depending on the situation. Yep, yep. Given the room has been, uh, AC's been off for hours, it's probably all super hot because they're in in a jungle. But not the ceiling fans. Oh, right, ceiling fans. No, we're good. (laughs) It's going to be nice and comfortable. (laughs) We always forget about the ceiling fans. We get that nice scene outside, uh, Grant going up the hill and Ellie stumbling around because she just survived something horrible. She sees Alan for the first time in about 24 hours and it's got to be a big emotional moment for her. And yeah, she mutters run and they jump and hug and it's, it's, it's great. What got me is like, I don't, is she talking to herself? Because I always thought she was talking to Grant. Yes. I've always had that misconception. I've always thought about that, but I paid attention uh, to it a couple years back and just like really focused on that part. She is like telling herself like run, get over to him because she's just in that state of mind. She's not trying to yell to Grant like run because there's nothing to run from. She's just telling herself run to him. It's it's a strange scene for sure for context if you if you're not looking for it but that's at least what I take out of it. She's doing the talk to yourself to motivate yourself yes. cuz she just she's all hobbly and probably it sucked getting from where she was back to there. Yep, she's probably exhausted so she's just got to have that little boost which she's hobbly because the flashlight. Right. And I'm not sure I'm not sure where specifically it probably got her. But if you watch when she's running through the maintenance shed away from the raptor as it's chasing her out, yeah, she trips she over. Drops she drops the flashlight. Yeah, it's over it. Yeah, and it's dragging behind her as she's running. But then it also gets caught in the door as she's leaving the maintenance shed. So I'm not sure. There's there's multiple points where she could have you know rolled her ankle or tripped over it or whatever. So it's, it, I think she they they show her tripping right as she's getting outside. Yeah, or just before. Yeah, I'd have to go back and and scrub through the the scene. But she definitely, like, trips over something, and that's why she's hobbled. Because she gets outside that, that uh, perimeter fence outside the maintenance shed and just slams the door shut and basically sits down and has a little hyperventilation, essentially. <laughs> and now this is also another play on expectations, because let's think about all the movies that have their female characters yes. running away yes. and then tripping or getting hobbled. Those are the people that end up dying, in movies, typically. Uh-huh. Here, it's not the case. And, and also, same thing. It's like, Grant's not the hero in this case. He didn't come save Ellie. He didn't do anything outside of just being there. She's the one who ran to him and jumped in his fucking arms. <laughs> it's just such a cool scene. I love it. It's just two people enthusiastic about seeing each other 
not knowing if the other person's okay after almost 24 hours of being stuck in a hell together. It's it's a great scene seeing them reunite. And then the kids, just when they think they have control again... We get one of the most reenacted scenes of all time. <laughs> My sister reenacted this scene so many times growing up, I can't even remember how many times to count. The shaking of the jello? <laughs> yes. Or sh- trying to close a... Uh cabinet door oh, with you inside it i've always wanted to try that I, just, I haven't had anything like that yeah there, there just hasn't been a rolled steel uh, door cabinet for me to play around in <laughs> but, <laughs> no the jello scene the jello scene they're sitting there enjoying the jello and then we get that beautiful beautiful uh uh background uh, the silhouette of the, the yeah. velociraptor in the image of the velociraptor that's painted on the glass yeah. in front of it. That yep, big glass know. that big glass mosaic that, that that whatever it is, it's it's so well done. And yeah, you get the Velociraptor shadow through there. It's such a good scene. Kids go tearing off because, you know, it's a raptor after jiggling the jello on the spoon to let you know there's a problem. There's like two early warning signs in this movie that you could attribute to dinosaurs, and that's cups with water and jello on a spoon. If either of those starts shaking, you know you better run. <laughs> the movie calls the noise what the Velociraptor is making as purring. Aw, they make it sound so nice. That's adorable. But like a kitty, it's a trap. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, his kids bolt into the kitchen, uh, flip down all the lights, and get behind one of the, uh, the counters there, and we get yet another wonderful scene. We get a little bit of a cutback. After they realize what's at the door, and Lex makes the comment that it's a Velociraptor, then we get that amazing comment about the doors and uh, whether or not the dinosaurs are self-contained, and we get that beautiful, beautiful comment of we don't yes, have to worry about figure out how to open doors. Velociraptors, unless <laughs> they figure out how to open a door. Yep, 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 yep. Cut, cut to them opening the damn door. Ah, oh, dramatic <laughs> irony. And they spared no expense on turn. They didn't put in turning knobs. If they would have put in turning knobs, they would have been fine. Had to be handled. True. They <laughs> put in flippy Something knobs. that would require opposable thumbs. There's a reason why we're, kind of why humans are apex predators. It's just the fact yep. that we can grab things with our hands. It's just funny. This movie kicked off that style of doorknob for me for like a good 20 years. I only wanted that style because I was obsessed with it. I never had those kinds growing up as a kid. We always had doorknobs. We never actually had those those handles. Door handles. And I always wanted them just so I could pretend to be a velociraptor opening one. <laughs> 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 so, you know, every time I open one at, let's say, work, where they, they're very abundant, I, I always make sure to, to immediately uh, throw out three digits and, <laughs> and pull down on it. It's just no, Now you can bring so your 3D raptor claw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just something so ingrained in my my personality and so ingrained in my uh, my childhood and everything that I, just, I can't not do it. it. It happens every single time I open a door. <laughs> love these raptors. And I love, 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 love just that, that scene between the two as they open the door. You know, the one calls. It's got that horrifying sound. The other one comes in and right away displays dominance by nipping at the neck of the other one. I love that. But we get a little bit of a gaff in this scene. If you were to scrub to one hour, 49 minutes, and 13 seconds, you can see somebody's hand pat the tail I've heard of, the pers- yeah. of the person wearing the Velociraptor costume. I've heard that. I haven't actually seen it myself, it's, but I have heard It's hilarious. That. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah, so we got the padding, we've got the... Uh plywood and the the workshop lights from the t-rex scene those are like the two the big two gla- biggest <laughs> glaring if you weren't paying attention for them you would never see them but yeah i mean this still 
I don't think there's, for me specifically, I don't think there's any more anxiety-inducing scene in the entire franchise than being trapped in a vehicle with a glass bubble roof being attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex or being stuck in a, in a freaking kitchen. kitchen with a single exit. Yeah, with two of the most intelligent <laughs> things that ever walked on the face of the earth. That's some scary crap. The kitchen scene is just another one of the scenes where everybody's breaths left them. I remember very vividly in the theater how it was just dead silence, yep. gasps. Yeah, <laughs> it's so well done. You got the horror music little bits to it. John Williams knocked it out of the park with that, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful scene of the raptors hunting the kids in the, in the kitchen. <laughs> and that spoon would not have fallen like that. That was obviously rigged. Yeah, yeah. Rigged spoon. It was rigged spoon. We should we should start a rigged spoon hashtag and get this thing rolling. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I agree. Fake news. It, it wouldn't have just fallen. Rigged spoon. <laughs> Well, I mean, we we, we don't have any kind of reference as to what would happen to a kitchen counter, an industrial kitchen counter, when something that heavy jumped on top of it and started moving around. Like, would the the structural integrity of the counter itself, because it's all... It's all steel pipes and aluminum. Yeah, hey, yeah. In reality, he would have crushed those uh, tables in there. Big deal. Whatever. Which I have to say, I'm very, very, very excited about on the toy lines here for Jurassic Park. One character that they have never made a figure of in the entire history of the Jurassic Park toy lines is Lex. Wait, really? They finally brought out really, really. Even with the six-inch uh, figures, the Legacy Collection and the Amber Collection, everything that's come out, they've never made Lex. They didn't even get to make Tim with the Amber Collection before they canceled it, but they made figures that had never been made before. So we got a figure of, you know, Ray Arnold for the first time ever. We got John Hammond for the very first time ever because they never made a John Hammond figure until the last few years. Okay. I mean, that's, that's weird. That's, that's big, shocking. Right? They've been going one by one, making all of the characters that were missing from my childhood that I had to use fill-in action figures for. <laughs> and... Yeah, now we have Hammond. We we obviously have Ray Arnold in a bunch of different scales and things like that. Uh, the other big one for me is Lex. Lex has never been made. There was a Tim figure in the original sets. There's Tim and all this new stuff. Lex literally has never had a character. However, they finally announced and have pictures of the Raptor Kitchen playset. <laughs> and it comes with another figure of Lex and Tim. And Tim's all muddied up, and it comes with freaking Lex. So for the very first time in my entire 33-year life, I can freaking play the Jurassic Park scene and reenact it with my freaking Explorers and my T-Rex and Lex and Tim inside. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh. Do they have it for the Oculus? Uh, there is a game there for is, Oculus. There it's is Jurassic one, World, yeah. But it's uh, cel-shaded. It doesn't do anything to ruin, uh. the, ruin the feeling of it. It's, it's got the same feeling as Alien Isolation where the raptors in the game and whatever else in the game have really, really good AI. And you're basically wandering around a decrepit park, stealing away in, like, closets or under tables and crap as velociraptors come in through rooms and look for you. It's scary, it's very terrifying, and it's very difficult. So, yeah, it's a pretty good oh, game. Oh, I bet. I love it. Raptors love are it. smart, I hear. Yeah, yeah they, they can be, unless you uh, put them in the Ice Age like these kids did. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we get to that, nice. we get to that scene where Ellie's trying to pull down that rolling steel uh, door. Uh, but, surprise, it's a reflection. But that doesn't do anything to not have all of our buttholes, you know, tighten up for a second there as she's about to get eaten. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, 
she narrowly steals away after the uh, raptor slams its head into the door and we get that scene with tim he spots the freezer with the door open unbeknownst to him from his grandpa (laughs) and he runs over to it raptor chasing along and because of his grandpa his life is spared. Still don't know ice like, on the, floor. the amount of time that I spent in food service. I don't think that would freeze like that. Those walk-in freezers are well, cold, but I don't think it would freeze like that. Well, it was like water. It was like watery ice. It was really yeah, wet. but it's... I mean, I guess... Those so are kitchen those are floors are this slippery, is but it no looks expense. like ice. It doesn't matter. I stayed, those, those. Well, there there are some chunks of ice, yes, but who knows where the ice could have come from? Bags could have been built up on the walls. It doesn't matter, but... Condensation, the been, they're in a jungle. Yeah, yeah. And the power's been on for, let's say, an hour at this point, maybe two hours when it gets to this point. I don't... I, so I, uh, it's my, had a little time to freeze. My expectations are set for that to ice like that to to form... If the freezer has been on for even that long, because walk-in freezers... It's a really good freezer. Walk-in freezers are cold, <laughs> but you don't get ice like that. Like, they keep things... Yeah. I'm surprised you're staking your your flag on that moment, and not the following moment, where two children <laughs> are holding back a velociraptor. Well, yeah, a velociraptor a that was able to pick up a human man at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Oh shoot! Am I? That's am I, way more I, ridiculous am I, am I than the water out and ice. Holes? Shit! No, yeah. no. Again, again. <laughs> Hammond spared no expense on this freezer. Yeah, <laughs> it really works. <laughs> Top um, of the line, where it we, doesn't matter. <laughs> we get to the point. This is my sister's favorite scene in this movie, and she asked to rewind it so many times growing up. We get to the scene where Tim's coming out. He's struggling, struggling with the door. And you have Lex just randomly run by doing a full-on scream with her arms outstretched. Yeah. It's such a good scene. I don't know why. I love it. It's just so silly. But then, yeah, you just jump back to them, put the pin in the door, and haha, screw you, Raptor. And then they casually make their way across the dining room and go, there's one back there. Yep. And now we've got the core cast yeah, reunited again. Adults. No urgency that there is a creature that can murder them all in seconds, and they have nothing to combat it. <laughs> well, no, Grant's got the uh, shotgun at that point. He's holding his past 12 gauge. Oh, Does Grant okay. really yeah. know how to use that gun? Doesn't matter. You point it at what you want to shoot, and you pull the trigger. And if there's <laughs> shells inside, ta-da! Yay. And if it doesn't fire... You got to figure out where the safety is. Good luck, because you're <laughs> not going to have enough are. time for that. And yep, then he gets yep. he gets the and, world's most unluckiest thing happened to him: firing a shotgun and having and getting getting stovepiped. So I'm not exactly familiar with that term, but I I know of all the bad things that can happen to somebody when they're firing a shotgun because he manages to get a shell wedged in the breech for the shotgun. Okay. See, I would think that the way he was holding it. That would be the more problematic thing in that he's holding it forward and he's like, not uh, settling shoulder. it into yeah, his so shoulder. Yeah, so just kick back into his chest. So he's going to end or up either, in. yeah, it's not going to be a good thing either way. Well, same thing. It's also semi-automatic. So, I mean, there's no pumping involved, so he can just hold it. And that's why I said, trigger, that's why so. I said he's super unlucky that he managed <laughs> yeah. something, something, the, managed timing, the, the, type, the timing with the, the, the breach just happening to fail and getting the shell stuck in it. We get to the control room and they go to close the door and uh, yeah, 
Grant looks over, looks back up, and wrapped her in the window. And no locks on the door. Exactly. He gets to see this. He gets to see with his own eyes the thing that Ellie was just commenting on coming to life in front of him. But yeah, this uh, this whole scene, you know, they're trying to get the computer system back online because, you know, Lex realizes it's a Unix system. She knows Unix. It's a Unix system. <laughs> Another yeah. great line. I hate that. She hops hate down, that starts line. playing around it's with this amazing... always bothered me. I love, I love <laughs> that line. I love it. And then you get in this amazing gooey that still to this day doesn't exist. Yep. <laughs> they start, she starts looking around at buildings and everything. Meanwhile, you've got the adults fighting for their lives trying to keep a door shut on a Velociraptor. And here's the kicker. They should have let the kids shut the, the ki- door the kids on were the tough. Velociraptor. Okay, I will, I, will put, <laughs> I will put my two cents in and say that the floor's not slippery. Maybe that's what they have in this scene. Because the raptor was on icy water trying to open a door. That's the only thing I can think of. This raptor's Fine. got concrete. I mean, it's got some. It's got some purchase for sure. And then we get <laughs> Lex's like weird hand, like mousing positioning. Yes, uh, yes. She oh, holds that mouse so, so weird. weird. Why? Because it was nineties. She doesn't know. I, Is she left yeah. like, no, 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 The way 90s. she's gripping no, the mouse she's is got, like she's got like just the tips of her fingers different. on top of the mouse, and she's just like, oh, it's just. Hey, she's the hacker. You're not. It has bothered yeah. me since I've seen the since I saw the movie for the first time. It has always bothered me, and it will bother me to the day that I die. Again, that's a big hill to die on. <laughs> it's not a hill. It just bothers me that she's mousing so weirdly. Well, what bothers me the most in this scene, and it still bothers me to this day, is you got Ellie. She's helping Grant. She's desperately trying to get to the shotgun with her foot, but she can't get it unless mm-hmm. she moves. What the hell is Timmy doing? He's standing behind his sister, slapping his hands on a chair, and just doing the, like, a go. go, 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 go thing. <laughs> go faster, go faster. Get the yeah, freaking um, shotgun to the adults. <laughs> Do something. Yeah. Like, sure, Ellie's not doing much in this scene, trying to help him on, like, the part of the door where she's pushing. There's not really going to be much benefit to her pushing there. So she probably could have gotten it, but Tim definitely could have gotten it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then... Pulled down the uh, the back stock and was like, let the door open. And then just fire into the... Right. The thing that I like <laughs> is that the computer program, it, one, it has to have that dumb gooey. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Doesn't make sense in reality, but for a movie... I mean, look at the cool-ass gooeys we've gotten up to this point, though. I mean... The Jurassic Park computer system is badass. I love the scene where the park goes offline. You have the like, and like all the flashes and stuff like that. I love the compound layout and all that stuff. I love the the vehicle tracking on it. So we know where the money went for Nedry. He is gooey heavy. (laughs) So it makes sense that there's this crazy ass amazing gooey because he is very driven to make the coolest, most futuristic gooeys he can. With only two million lines of code. <laughs> yeah. That's where it all went. It's literally programming all of the flashy bits on the GUI and not, you know, actually <laughs> programming the functionality of the park itself. The stability's not there, but it looks nice. <laughs> and, and when you move between files in that Unix system, it goes... <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't fucking know. Gotta got gotta have those transitions in there. It's like great. We gotta wait to get into this file. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Nedry. But yeah, she uh she solves the riddle, finds the file, kicks it off, and Jurassic Park starts coming back online. And in another juxtaposition scene, 
you have the excitement of everybody freaking out because my god the power's back on and the 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 buildings are coming back in security and everything's everything's starting to fall together to the point where we have the building back we have control again to the point where you know Grant makes the phone call over to Hammond and says, the Ham- Hammond, the phones are working. How does and Hammond then... know that Grant's calling him, though? Because ha- all we know is that Hammond... Phones ring. The phones, yeah, the phones ring. ring. Yeah, He's but got a voice. Caller ID. The phones don't have a, a screen. <laughs> or a cell phone. They don't. <laughs> like, they don't have a cord, so he, he calls just the phone and says, phone. Hammond Grant? had to accept the call. How does Hammond know that Grant's calling him? Oh. Because all Hammond knows is that... Statler and Arnold left. I got it because he read the script. And Muldoon. But yeah, it's um, it's it's another one of those wonderful juxtaposition scenes where they have control again. The entire cast is elated. You can see it on their faces. You can feel it in the air. Everybody's just filled with excitement because they have control. The threat's over. They've figured it out. They've got it. Within seconds, yet again, you've got it's trying to get to the glass. Bang, bang, bang. Gunshots. That is, that's just shattered. It's it's an illusion. Everything's an illusion when it comes to control, like Ellie was saying. Ten There is no seconds. control. Every time they feel like they get it, it's done. A false security. <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. And you get that wonderful shout from Hammond because Hammond is still, yet again, thinking about his park. So even though the power's back on, the systems are working, and he's hearing voices from people he thought maybe died... All he cares about is he hears a gun in the background <laughs> and his first thought is don't because they're trying to kill the things that he has money invested in. <laughs> maybe because his grandchildren are there as well because he didn't know reasons. that though. He didn't know that though. He didn't know Grant picked up, was calling him either. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's true. That's true. He's got that psychic energy. And Grant brings the shotgun up pretty high to his face to fire it too. Yeah. But seeing the holes in it's the glass. The scene that we've been I don't talking about much to worry for about. episodes. <laughs> Whether or not these shotguns are firing slugs or birdshot. And then we get a chance to see what it is. And we can't tell. The holes are too big for birdshot and too small for slugs. What about tranquilizers? <laughs> I, I mean, okay, I guess. Now that we got to pause. In my notes, this entire time I keep on looking over at my notes. And every time I look over at my notes, I see the same words. And it confuses me. Because what I see is not what's written. What's written is itty-bitty little bullet holes. I keep on seeing <laughs> itty-bitty little buttholes, and I'm trying to remember why I would put that on my notes. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the tiny dinosaur butts. <laughs> what movie was I watching? Oh, bullets, right. That makes more sense. This is the special butthole cut of Jurassic Park. <gasps> oh, no. All the dinosaurs flexing their butt muscles. All right, here we go. Everyone really wants to know, answer the question. Here, here's a here's a really big explanation, supposedly. <laughs> Great. That's that's your it. All right. The shotgun is a well, I'm not sure how much I uh, appreciate this because it's it's obviously not right to begin with. Give me one second here. <laughs> they got the shotgun. <laughs> they got the shotgun bottle wrong. Give me one sec. Let me just make sure that that's I mean, not they're me. predominantly Spaz 12s. Like that's that's what those well, shotguns, yes, they're very... Club, but somebody's saying it's a Mossberg. It's not a Mossberg. So, okay, if you if you take away the fact that they're t- quoting the wrong shotgun, because it's it's clearly a, a Spaz 12, uh, it's been aftermarketed with folding stock, iron sights, everything else. Uh, it would indicate that the barrels most likely have been rifled as well, too. So it's been designed to fire slugs. So I don't think anybody in this park is working with buckshot. I don't think they'd be stupid enough no. to have buckshot on these guns. Mm-hmm. They have to have slugs. 
So, they're saying that an M16 round is about the diameter of a pencil, which we know, mm-hmm. and a 12-gauge slug is about as big as our thumb. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the high-power shotgun, shooting it at the glass, <sighs> the holes are the right size for slugs. That hole would still end up being... It would end up being bigger, but if it's if it's slugs, he didn't fire that many shots. I wonder if they were intending on using the M16 instead of the shotgun, and then they uh, used the M16 bullet holes, because that's about the right size for an M16 bullet hole through glass. Not necessarily for a 12-gauge slug, maybe 20-gauge. There's no bananas, though, in that shot. We can't really gauge how big those holes are. That's That's a really good point. Yeah, and that's... We need banana for scale. That's exactly it. You don't know how big the holes are, and I think the only plot thing that could potentially upturn this is what the glass is made out of. Because we're talking about a a glass window being shot multiple times with a slug from a a SPAS-12 gauge. You'd expect there to be a lot more damage than just some holes. But... Not well, necessarily. I mean, that, that it had glass, that metal yeah, mesh going through it. Exactly. The, exactly. The safety glass. That's what it comes down to. Is it glass? Is it Lexan? Is it, you know, what? what is that control room center glass made out of? But it, it is silly to kind of sit here and nitpick this so deeply because it is probably just easily explainable as just a, a mishap. <laughs> they just chose a poorly sized hole and they just didn't think about it that much because it was just a scene. Clearly not the same shotgun. Clearly, Clearly. not the same shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I just I just oh, sent the yeah, for, for those enough. of you listening because this is a audio medium. I just sent the the group chat <gasps> a, a pair of pictures comparing the Spas Twelve to any kind of any kind of Mossberg. They all kind of look the same. Uh-huh. The the gas barrel is just a little bit different, or barrel length overall barrel length. Looking at you know multiple different shotguns. Yeah, a Spas Twelve gauge is such an iconic shotgun. There's nothing else that looks like it. It's it's so hard to mess that one up. I can't believe somebody did. <laughs> I can. It's the internet. But I guess. I guess. It's the internet. It's the yeah, internet. It's the internet. Yeah. But yeah, we get that scene. Uh, Hammond shouting, don't. They they hop up on a ladder and get up into the ceiling tiles. Which, who would ever think to do that? I don't know. Have you ever been chased yeah, by what a human dinosaur? would you do? Dinosaur? No, but I also know that when you spare no expense, you don't make a drop ceiling that can hold... Two yeah. adults and two children. I just put a drop ceiling in in my basement uh, two weekends ago, and it terrifies the shit out of me thinking about crawling up in there. This is gonna, <laughs> because it this, would never support yeah. a dog's nope. weight. But this is industrial. This is industrial, damn it. That, that framework <laughs> is made out of yeah, steel, and, and it weighs 400 pounds. Yep. And those tiles aren't made out... Those tiles are made out... Those are ti- actual tile. They're not made out of, like, drywall. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell by the way it breaks. You say that, yeah, until it breaks away. Yeah. Then it's right. made of drywall. I, no, no, no. I do have they to they say, hung like, sheetrock my... instead. That's what it is. That's why they it's so strong. Sheet yeah. <laughs> they use sheetrock tile instead of drywall. And probably my favorite part about this is as Grant kicks over the ladder and the raptor looks up, you get that kick ass scene of the genetic code displayed. I've never the I've so never good. noticed that till we watched it this oh. till we, I had to watch it for this. I have never noticed that there's the Gattaca uh-huh. just <laughs> displayed over the, the the head of that monster. It's it's fantastic. That's actually so I, I I've gone my whole life without tattoos, but I finally got a few, and I've got three Jurassic Park ones right now. Uh, they're from the book, and it's the the start of every chapter has the um, iterations of the Dragon Scale Fractal Curve, basically explained by Malcolm what's happening with each one, and what it is is it's the same exact pattern 
every single chapter, it repeats off of itself, and it looks chaotic by nature, but if you look at it, there's an underlying structure that it's basically forming itself from. So I have the first iteration, second iteration, and third iteration running up my arm. My plan is to eventually get that Velociraptor made up of the genetic code, just like in that shot, somewhere probably on my shoulder, but that's that's coming down the line, but that is like... It popped in my head one day, and it's just like, I want a Velociraptor or a T-Rex or a Dilophosaurus or something. I don't want just the logo. I don't want just, like, a raptor claw like, you know, most people have, or, like, a chunk of amber. And it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, that's the coolest freaking thing you could possibly think of, is having a Velociraptor made up of the genetic code, just like it is in that shot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a bitch to get done, but I'm I'm really excited for that. <laughs> oh, man, your, your skin's going to turn into, pu- into paste. It's... It's gonna suck. It'll be fine. It's really gonna suck. It's gonna, be it's gonna look cool. It's, it's gonna, gonna be worth really it. Cool. Exactly. I'm I'm really excited for that one. But yeah, that that scene's always stuck with me because it's just so cool to see that. I I freaking love that scene. And then we discover they don't have good fire codes on the island because they have a big wide opening in the drop ceiling for them to crawl through to another room. Yeah. Right. Tis tis tis. Hey, it's still under construction, Joe. They were still putting plaster and paint and walls as they came up. <laughs> what, the what, what would they put in between there to make that to code, Rothy? I think it was supposed to be an air duct between the two. I don't know. <laughs> Expanding foam. <laughs> <laughs> Amber. They could put amber in between. It, looks, it does get them no to the, the main area yeah. of the visitor center, which sets up the big Velociraptor versus Tyrannosaurus in the fossil yes. like, scene. Yes. area. And, and another point that... That Tim's got the thickest of plot armors. Well, however, we we do get the uh, the last big jump scare of the film. We get uh, as they're crawling through the ceiling, that that tile pops up yep. with Lex on top of it, and this scared the shit out of my sister when she watched it for the first time. When she falls down, Grant pulls her up just in the nick of time, right as the raptor's jaws snap like mere inches away from her foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good scene. That's that's some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that the uh, <laughs> raptor could hold itself up and uh, continue to hold itself and Lex above it with the uh, tile. That whole way it suspended itself until someone could kick it in the face was, uh, eh, it was a bit extended. I don't think it would be able to support itself. It doesn't matter. It's a fun scene. It is a fun scene. Especially as they get back into the rotunda, like Joe was saying. Yeah. And I'm glad that this changed out because the original intent was to have the... Velociraptors be killed by the falling bones? That was going to be how they died? But essentially what happened was it just didn't feel right. And I I can't remember if it was Steven or somebody else, but basically they said they can't leave the movie without showing the T-Rex one last time because it's kind of the star. So bringing the Rex into it one last time for that standoff, yeah. And this is where I have my notes about how could something that big be that stealthy. Well, again, it was coming from outside, and the velociraptors and the bones and crap falling around inside the rotunda, I'm sure that they weren't even focused on it. They weren't even focused. I mean, I bet somebody could fire a gun outside and they wouldn't even hear it because they're so focused on staring at the raptor three feet in front of them. But you think the the, the raptors might know that T-Rex would be coming? They wouldn't want to stay around. They don't. They're afraid of it. That's true. I think the bigger question is, everybody always has asked in terms of how the Rex got in, but that's finally been solved because higher definition copies of the movie, you can clearly see in the back of the rotunda, there's a giant, giant section of the wall that was covered with plastic sheeting, and that's clearly where the Rex Mm -hmm. came through, just ducked in and walked in. 
but <laughs> yeah, you get that really cool scene. You get all the fun on the bones and, you know, everybody nearly dying from having plaster bones fall on them. And you got Ellie kind of cowboying on one and <laughs> all this good stuff. I am happy that they changed it because it gives them some urgency to get the hell out of there and uh, yes. run out to the Jeep and get moving again. Yes. It wouldn't have been like that action movie style where the Raptors are dead and they just slowly walk out of the visitor center like, oh, we did it. Fit walking away from an explosion. Yes. And this is just yet again, another example of problem being solved but we still have to get the hell out of here <laughs> because, because exactly. you can never have that moment of relief there is no moment of relief in jurassic park it's just a roller coaster of constant emotion of get to the next thing get to the next thing get to the next thing or you die <laughs> so, so yeah right yeah, you exactly do get those little works. pauses of relief but yes, then all of a yes. sudden it's like oh wait i gotta keep moving yep so you do get those little brief like oh neat i i this is possible in into the next problem yep and to your point, we get out to Muldoon's Jeep, missing windshield, covered in mud, Hammond driving, and we get one of my favorite quotes in the entire film, another one that I've used. After careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. So have I. <laughs> then he drives off with everybody in tow. <laughs> He's finally hit that moment where he himself realizes there's no coming back from this. Super important. You got that character growth where you're like, well, okay. Exactly. There's character growth. All the characters change. <laughs> Malcolm, he was a smarmy ass and thought he was above everything, but he realized that, you know, there a lot of the stuff he's saying is true and does happen for sure, right? But he can't calculate everything. Right. You got Grant, who's moved on, and realized that there are more important things, especially children. And then you've got Ellie, she's grown as a character. You've got um, Hammond, he's grown as a character. Gennaro's grown as a character inside of the Tyrannosaurus well. Rex's belly. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. Tim and Lex, the group. <laughs> because even though they're facing something terrible, like a divorce and losing one of their parents, they realized after facing it through a park full of dinosaurs and surviving that there's a lot worse things that could happen and they're going to be just fine. So would you say that the uh, moral of the story is change or die because Arnold didn't change? Yeah. Nedry obviously didn't change. And Gennaro. Maybe. Like, the three people who decided not to change in the movie, they all fell to their own... Uh, their own devices. Yeah. So you're saying that Muldoon chose to not change. Uh, I forgot about him. Uh, <laughs> he didn't change either. No, I don't think Muldoon, Muldoon didn't change. He was the same character all the way to the end. And maybe he got a little bit less smart. Yeah, you get that You get that totally awesome scene. And again, this was another thing that changed, which I'm so thankful changed. The original storyboards and scripts and everything had Hammond being left behind. Because yet again, everybody was still going from the angle of Hammond being an asshole like he was in the books. So they thought it was a more profound ending to have everybody escape the park. And as the helicopter's flying away, have Hammond standing like a field or standing here or standing there, looking up at the like chopper the leaving. Like the on oh, no. the dock at the end of Jurassic World? Yes. But he's stuck in the hubris he created, essentially. He's stuck in this world that exists yeah. around him. And he has to deal with that. That's the ending. Luckily, they didn't go that route because Hammond in the movie is such a sweet, gentle soul. He's just misguided. <laughs> so he gets that one last view and he just takes a look around. You know, you can hear the Brachiosaurus trumpeting in the background. It's just, it's a really melancholic scene as everything falls apart. Him getting one last take of everything before he gets on the helicopter and essentially has to let that piece of him go. Yeah, his life's work. Yep. There it goes. So I have one last note for this. Is the helicopter at the end CG? Because it looks weird. It looks no, off. I, I, 
the helicopter is real for the whole thing, but it it just looks. I don't know if it's because I I, I mean I watched it in HD. Like I watched a a, a Blu-ray copy. Not yeah, off off a, a, a stream. It just looked weird. It didn't look. You look weird. I mean, I do, but that's oh, that's. Are that's, you CG? No. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to to your point, I don't I don't think the helicopter was ever rendered in 3D. I, I believe that's all real because there's even that shot. It, it bugs me to this day, but it's it's there. You know, you get the lens flare and the camera lens of the helicopter flying. Mm-hmm. It just happens because it's a sunset shot. But you know, it's it's brief. It's for like a split second. So it's very clearly something being filmed. It's just I I don't, I don't know, know. It just if they... it it was it was something that caught my attention, and it was the last note that I put down before the movie ended was whether or not the helicopter was CG, just because it looked it looked off flying over the ocean. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch it again, but I don't have time. Yeah, I sincerely love this ending. Grant looks at the kids. You know. He's taking it all in. Ellie's looking at Grant, taking it all in. We finally get an actual sense of security. No no false security. Yeah, you, you get that cool shot outside and see the, the, the pelicans flying. The kids choosing Grant over their grandfather. Ooh. <laughs> yep. But Grandpa was a badass and, and drove a jeep and picked them up. Yeah, that's about all they saw him for the weekend. He, they show up to an island, they tackle him. He's like, ah, fuck you kids, get in the car, go away. <laughs> and for the rest of his life he's going to be explaining to them and showing them I promise there was more we just didn't get to it that was a tool it was beautiful you know it would have been interesting to see uh, Hammond being left behind on the uh, island we could have gotten a real uh, cool villain turn at that point yes, yes. where uh, he realizes that they left him to rot and it's up to him to uh, turn the dinosaurs on them so he uh learns how to train the dinosaurs and then takes his dinosaur army back to the mainland to go after Ian Malcolm and, and Grant and Oh God. <laughs> he comes riding in on the back of a Tyrannosaurus. Are you sure are you sure you his want this Amber to happen? Wand I don't think you're raised. I don't think you're sure enough to want this to happen. This seems The island's powered by a volcano. He could have a volcano base. That's what all supervillains have. Yeah. A layer, sorry, a volcano layer. Okay, so we, did we just confirm <laughs> that Hammond is a bad guy because he has a volcano layer? <laughs> yep, it automatically gets a sign yeah. at birth when you have a volcano layer. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he was a he was the bad guy in the book, but I mean, they had to change it for the movie, obviously. It was definitely a welcome <laughs> change. I don't think I want to hate him. The best way that I can say it is... And and it's it's probably the best way that anybody says it is he just feels like your grandpa. He's everybody's grandpa. He feels like that kindly natured old man. He's just naive at what he's got in front of him. So there's that yeah, sweetness. Super that optimistic. Yeah. You can't help but feel bad for him because of what happened. He's not a villain in the true sense where you just can't stand the choices he's making. He's putting everyone in danger because of something. He at least changes. He at least understands the, the impacts of his his choices throughout the film. Yeah. And I love that. I, I love that. I love the character arcs. I love the growth throughout the movie. I love this nice little, like, sign-sealed ending, little chef's kiss with everybody moving on. And that's what's missing. It's it's just there's nothing else in the in the, the sequels that have that. At least. I mean, they tried with Jurassic World with having the same exact plot, essentially, of kids going through a divorce. We're going to send them to go spend a day with the aunt. 
<sighs> but, yeah, it's, and then uh, she shoves him on a ride and doesn't see him for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's it's just a, a carbon <laughs> copy. And it's the same thing. Shoves him on a ride, doesn't see him exactly. Puts him in the hands of a caregiver that gets devoured, and <laughs> they're uh, sent to survive on their own. Yeah. So I guess it's the same exact plot essentially of kids going through divorcing parents and realizing after surviving a crazy thing that they're going to be okay. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Until they realize that the Velociraptors has taken over their mom's position. Ooh. Clever girls. They get home and she pulls Matt like the Terminator in Terminator Two. It's not really. <laughs> it's not really John Connor's mom. It's a Velociraptor at the kitchen sink. Oh, <laughs> in their mom's dress. And, and you it, should have seen this coming. Yeah, and it pans out, and and the Raptors got one leg kicked out like karate style with a claw on the guy's neck against the wall, and his milk's dribbling down. Yes, I love this. I love this. Oh yeah, but yeah, what a hell of a ride. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff from the book that, looking back, any fan would love to see. I personally am really sad that we never got a chance to see the Safari Lodge. That would have been cool. Um, just more of the island in general. I, I really, as a kid, I was just obsessed with knowing what everything looked like because we got to see snippets. Here's a tunnel with a, a little bit of track coming out of it. Here's a maintenance shed. Here's that thing. How does it all connect? Where does this go? What does that do? That's what I wanted to know. So I think that's why I got so angry towards Fallen Kingdom because it kind of, it kind of felt like we we're maybe going to get that chance. Because I got angry in Jurassic World when, oh my god, we're finally at the old park, we get to see more of the infrastructure, and they focus on literally the rotunda, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, all the stuff we've already seen before. Exactly, exactly. And then we get to Fallen Kingdom, and I'm like, this is it. This is going to be the big chance. It's like the Lost World Jurassic Park, but on the original island. They're going to be going all over the place, they're going to be going all over the original park, and literally the only thing we see is the overturned Ford Explorer that they couldn't even get the tire right on. That makes me mad. <laughs> makes me so mad. And Nicole was tearing me apart saying how it's not a big deal. And I'm like, it is a big deal. If you're making a, a freaking sequel to a movie that everybody loves and respects and you can't get something like the tiniest little detail right, what the hell are you doing? If you're going to pull at people's nostalgia, you better pull at it right. Yes. There's four tires on a freaking vehicle. Just do a little bit of research by looking at a scene for a minute and understanding which one the Tyrannosaur pulled off. <laughs> yes that's my big nerd rage for it but my god it pissed me off it really pissed me was off. it front driver's side no they had the wrong back side so the rex as it flips the vehicle over takes off the back driver's side it was the back okay it was the back passenger side that was removed in the movie and they had the other tires sitting on uh, their rotting so yeah cool 90 percent of people won't notice that but i'm not 90 percent of people <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> look at you the the 10 percent. yeah and then you got the suspension of disbelief with scenes like you know owen coming back from his sleepy combs and uh whipping his hand inches from lava and having to do the bloop sound as a <laughs> okay oh my god i don't even want to talk about that movie okay oh my god let's not let's just not this movie though. this movie is it's a testament <laughs> Has your opinion of this movie changed over time? No. I've only learned to appreciate it more and more with every single viewing and everything else I read about it as it comes up throughout the decades that it's been released. I just have such a great appreciation for everything about this movie. Yeah, honestly, sitting down to watch this movie, like, I, yeah, Jurassic Park, everyone loves Jurassic Park. But then to sit down and watch this movie with a critical eye and just 
coming out, I, I came out with uh, so much more of appreciation with, of the movie this time around watching oh, it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Three or four times. Like, it's it's so much better now that I've actually looked at it and looked deeper into it than I ever imagined before. Yeah, I'd ha- I have to totally agree. I it, it's it's a movie like we've said in so many in so much in all of these all of these episodes leading up to this that it's such a good movie even with the little things that I I, I can nitpick about like there's there's nothing wrong with this movie yeah it has its problems it's got a few things here and there but nothing majorly detracts from it being an enjoyable experience and that's the biggest thing about it I can turn a blind eye to some <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous to say out loud, but I can turn a blind eye to some freaking uh, uh, plywood and <laughs> a light in one of the most like cinematically impressive and, and memorable scenes in cinema history because it just doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. Who cares? Yep. I just look at it right. and chuckle because the scene itself is so powerful and it just brings back so many emotions. And even taking nostalgia out of it, it's still a jaw-dropping, inspiring scene. <laughs> I just don't care. And I could, I could easily take make make bets that all of the episodes that we have recorded so far to this to this point for Jurassic Park, not one of us hasn't had the Jurassic Park theme playing in their head at one point or another while we've been discussing this. Yes. Yeah. The John yeah. the John Williams score for this it's my favorite John Williams soundtrack outside of I would maybe say the theme the theme for the Lost World. Because he really let himself go on that one. You can really hear all the individual instruments, the wind instruments, everything involved. It's just got so many layers to it. When you listen to Journey of the Island or whatever it is, um, or I can't remember the name of the track, but there's specifically a song and just that whole soundtrack has that like islandy, just, I, I don't know, vibe to it. It's got a lot more instrumentation going on versus this soundtrack. But does that make the soundtrack any worse? No. no. They both have their flavors. And this is just an awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping soundtrack that knows what it's doing for every single scene. It fills you with raw emotion. You get those scenes where it's grandeur. It's a gesture as the as everything just builds and it just overwhelms you. But then you get those melancholic points too where it's like the, the ice cream scene and things like that. And then you get, you know, your espionage spy tune with, <laughs> but it's still jungle themed espionage spy tune with, with Nedry racing through the forest it's or the jungle to, to get to the other side. It's, there's a lot of cool things like that in the soundtrack and I don't see myself ever not listening to it. And it is definitely one of those things that I throw on when I need to focus or if I just want to relax. It's kind of like my one true happy place. If I'm ever feeling stressed, if I'm ever feeling down, if I'm ever feeling anything, I toss this soundtrack on, and it's just like I'm stuck in a, a chamber by myself. It's it's fantastic. I'm going to be a wreck the day that John Williams dies. I can tell you guys that much. An absolute wreck. <laughs> How about you, Joe? Things change? So I stopped viewing the movie as like an enjoyable movie to watch whenever at, for, for a period of time. And I think that was just because, one, I was younger and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> always moving on to the, the next thing to enjoy. And I... I do think that the subsequent films doesn't help the name, the brand of Jurassic Park. Lost World did everything after Lost World. There's so many yeah. there's so many people who detract from that though. There's a lot of people who hate The Lost World, which I can't stand. It's still such a good sequel in my eyes, but I, I from a non-critical eye or from a critical eye from a non-biased point of view, I could absolutely understand why people didn't like The Lost World coming from Jurassic Park. 
because character traits and flaws are definitely more apparent and people don't follow their core personality traits. They don't they follow their core values throughout the movie, like Sarah with the bloody vest and things like that, but it still has that feeling. It still had Michael Crichton's involvement, it had Spielberg's direction, it had John Bell involved, everybody else designing stuff to make it feel like it was belonging in the universe. So yeah, I completely agree. Lost World's amazing, but there's a lot of people who don't like it. <laughs> it honestly surprised me. <laughs> but as you guys have said, coming back and watching it again with a critical eye honestly gives you a really good appreciation for the film just being a good film. Yes. It's, it's good. It's quality. And, and I think the real question is, do you guys honestly think anybody could have done it other than Spielberg? This way? And have it have the same oh. feeling. Yeah. At that point in time, I don't think so. I can't think of another director that would be able to pull a movie off like this. I mean, thinking of directors today, I don't even think someone today would be able to do it. Michael Bay! No, oh, God, it'd be everything awful. would explode. Everything would be exploding. <laughs> Explorer falls in the tree and it explodes. <laughs> Dinosaurs exploding. Oh, oh, the T-Rex comes out of the... The T-Rex comes out of the trees and bites into the Gallimimus and it explodes in its mouth. <laughs> what about Snyder? I want to see slow motion dinosaurs. No, Zack Snyder, the film would just have this gray-ass dull brown wash. and <laughs> A lot more rain, even when it's not supposed to be raining. A lot more lightning in the rain. Yep. Just, no, 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 no. And nothing actually happens in the movie. And for some reason, one of the dinosaurs' name is Martha. Uh, with the Bay version, you just have some random girl leaning over a triceratops. <laughs> sweating in the sun <laughs> Megan Fox maybe who knows but yeah I, I'm, I'm glad Tim Burton didn't get his hands on this I love Tim Burton but this is not a Tim Burton movie no that would have no, been no that would have been I would have been I, I don't even want to think about it. there'd be so much yeah It'd just be so much more weird. I it wouldn't be a good movie. It wouldn't. I appreciate Tim Burton, but yeah, this isn't the right vehicle for him. And I feel I don't have to ask, but the next part of our show is. Do you feel this film stands up today? Yes. This might be the most <laughs> not nostalgia movie that we've covered. This is the epitome yes. of that question. This movie is the question that you can mm -hmm. answer with every time. This movie, I don't care. It's like Ghostbusters. This movie transcends generations. It doesn't matter who watches it. Everybody who watches this movie loves it that loves dinosaurs and loves getting into this kind of stuff it's just this big thing that pushes them into that category same with ghostbusters it doesn't matter how old you are you watch it everybody seems to love it from toddlers to old people so i can't honestly cannot think of anybody that i know that does not enjoy the original jurassic park same here i, I know mean, the, everybody's got very everybody's got other movies that's that's not a that's not a that's 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 a given but this the original Jurassic Park just has so much to it that you you can't you can't say that it doesn't stand up. Like you have no way to defend yourself if you say that it doesn't. The the big difference is the, the sequels you can definitely fall into the territory of describing them as just, you know, monster movies and things like that. It's just there's a lot of descriptors that would qualify those movies as being kind of, you know, poo-pooed, just not taken as seriously. Whereas this one you really can't say that about this one, even from a critical eye. It delves into some very, very hypothetical uh, questions about science, nature, morality, everything, and just brings a lot to the table in terms of what's all going on on the surface of it just being a dinosaur action movie. Whereas the sequels have all kind of lost that, and maybe they'll have a conversation here or there. But it's not the same feel, and it doesn't hit the same 
I'm trying to think of a juxtaposition from the first movie where they explain something that they don't know what they have versus I know in Jurassic World, you know, you got a quote from Owen, like what kind of blah, blah, blah are they cooking up in that lab? Or <laughs> that's, that's how they kind of describe something that they don't know what it is. Whereas this movie, they go about it in a more scientific approach and have a more thoughtful conversation about it. It's almost like a backseat to the new movies, whereas the dinosaurs and the action come forward, whereas this was the opposite. This was all about the science, the understanding, and everything else, and then the dinosaurs were the, you know, the, the filler. <laughs> but now we can now we can say it. We're, we're we're done we're done talking about Jurassic Park for at least a little while, guys. Right? Right? We don't we don't have to talk Until about Jurassic Park into anymore. Jurassic Park three. No. But Dominion's <laughs> coming out. Dominion's uh, coming out. You could say this is us getting in a helicopter and leaving Jurassic Park behind us. We're deciding not to endorse another episode. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. No more episodes on Jurassic Park. This super episode closed the door. Super episodes? It's a series? Look at look at your timeline of how long you've Am been recording. Yeah, we're like today. what? Yeah. Oh, two God. hours. Good guy. This is yeah. a super long episode. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we want the opposite of the uh, Hollywood standard, and we, we could have broken this down into like three or four episodes. <laughs> Maybe no, I will. Please don't. No. <laughs> oh. And then, then we have to really go batshit crazy, and we have to all come back and record commentary on the podcast episodes. Oh. <laughs> Here's what I thought when I was thinking Yikes. about that question. This feels like no value added. Oh, we do it drunk. So There there we go. We do it drunk. Oh, okay. There oh, we go. There's, there there's it is. Value. In the meantime, please rate, like, review, comment, subscribe, all those crazy things that you got to do with social media these days just so that you know we know you're there, and you know we know you know you're there, and then... Come back next time when we shift gears and cover something nothing like Jurassic Park by watching and talking about Caddyshack. All right. This is a movie Ooh. I've never seen. Here we go. No expectations. Oh, boy. So come back in two weeks when we rewind again. <laughs> it's the Gallimimus again. Can you imagine if we just got through this for like, what, eight hours of recording and someone just comes up like, no, you guys, you just went on an eight hour nostalgia trip. Yeah. I mean, that's so, what this be. podcast is. Right. Well, this would be like somebody saying that now what we experienced now, this is just pure nostalgia. This movie isn't, you gave it way too much credit. Oh, so you're oh, going to be one I of those internet saying. assholes, huh? I call them up before they can call us out. No. It's scientifically proven not to be nostalgia keeping this movie going. Yes, scientifically proven. But how do you know, Joe? Did you go out and lift the other episode's skirts or like how do you how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> how do you know it's not nostalgia? <laughs> oh god, that's a, that's one that's great if you know that it's a quote, but it's really awkward if you just throw it in a random conversation. <laughs>